This episode is brought to you by Zeratech Software Development. Are you a company whose commitment to excellence demands effective software tools? Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help build or enhance your technological systems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. You can find them at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. Hey guys, today I sat down and talked to Bridget DeRocher. Uh, Bridget is super passionate about ultra running. She's ran a lot of like 100 mile, 160 mile, these crazy long races. Uh, but it's, it was really funny to hear how it all started. Uh, uh, injury that happened in a college sport led her to where she couldn't play anymore. And then she got into running just as a way to continue exercising. Eventually that led to this life where this is a huge passion of hers and she's going all around the country running these long distance, crazy races. So I really, really enjoy this one. I hope you guys do as well. Welcome to the Obsessed Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Herkus. In this podcast, we get to meet and hear from folks who are obsessed with a wide array of interesting endeavors. We dive into some awesome stories and look at the mindsets and the psychology of those who are obsessed. Let's go. Bridget, thanks for coming in today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, I want to get into your running, but really, I mean, with that what that world has meant for you and where that's taken you. But can you take me back to the beginning? Have you always been a runner? I haven't been, so I'm curious for you. Okay. No, I, I actually um, grew up as more of a power sport athlete. Okay. So uh, throughout um, elementary, middle school, high school, I played volleyball okay. and I was on the track team, but I was into shot put and discus. Um, and then from there, I, I went on to, um, I was recruited by the Finlandia volleyball team. Okay. And so I, you know, I grew up in the area and I was familiar with Finlandia and I, um, joined their volleyball team. Um, so training became a little bit more intense for me there. Uh, and our coach did put us into a morning running routine where we would run maybe three to five miles. Um, so I started to get more into running at that point. And, and then, um, I had kind of a life-changing injury about two years into my volleyball career. I was um, a setter and our middle hitter went up to spike a ball and she um, ended up kind of elbowing me in the temple. Um, it was a quick set and we both went down. She came down on top of me and I was, uh, I had a concussion, but I was knocked unconscious. Mm. So I also sprained my ankle. So they brought me into the hospital right away to get checked out. And they found that I had um, actually had some cysts inside of my ear. And so from there, um, I was rushed over to U of M hospital and they had to do a surgery in which they, um, shaved half of my head and, and opened it up because the ear with all the facial nerves that we have, Mm -hmm. um, they have to be very careful. Otherwise they could have paralyzed me. So I could never be able to talk properly or move my eyes properly. So they kind of cut open your, the whole side of your head. Right. And that's when I, um, had 35 staples in my head and they said no more, um, well, I guess they consider volleyball to be a contact sport. So sure. no more contact sports for me. Okay. The cyst, was that coincidence or was that from the accident? No. So it actually turned out to be something that had, had happened at birth. I was born uh, prematurely okay. um, and I was only a couple pounds when I was born. So a lot of premature babies um, develop some issues. Nothing uh, quite closes properly until right at the end. Um, and, but I hadn't noticed it until um, the injury from volleyball. So it was actually... Um, 
you know, if you want to say uh, something, uh, calling from God to wake me up and, and realize this or a coincidence and, and I found it and they were able to remove it and they took it all out. Um, I, and, you know, had some great doctors there and I haven't had any problems since and it, it turned out to be non-cancerous. So I was very lucky to find it and have it removed. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. But still, without that accident, you probably would never have found that out. And could that have been detrimental? Is it? Yeah, it could have caused um, some more permanent damage if it would have grown much larger because because of those facial nerves. They said that they were lucky when they got it that they, you know, to be, to be able to go in there and remove it before it got too entangled and everything. So, mm -hmm. so it, it worked out. <laughs> so you were done with volleyball. Was that of course, again, the blessing in disguise of finding the cyst, right? Mm -hmm. But was it upsetting to be done with volleyball? It was. I can remember <clears throat> going back and, um, and crying to my coach. And, um, you know, I, I think at that point, it was it was such a huge part of my life. And, and you know, especially on a collegiate team, because you're always traveling and you've, we've, you have three to four practices a day. So it's such a huge component of your life. And so I was, I actually had to transfer schools because to just be there and to see the rest of your team competing, it was, it was too hard to, to watch. So I then transferred to Northern to, um, at that point I was in nursing. Um, and, <laughs> and so it's kind of a funny story. You know, I've always had an interest in health and, mm. um, I, when we went in for clinicals while I was still at Finlandia, I, I just saw so many people with, um, preventable diseases that could have been avoided had they had a little healthier lifestyle and it mm -hmm. really bothered me so when i went to northern i decided to switch over to their exercise science program um and i um wanted to be able to prevent these horrible preventable diseases from happening so that's where i went from there um got my bachelor's degree there in exercise well, health and fitness management it's called okay there, so but really more on the exercise, the fitness, the, that side of things versus the right. taking care of somebody after the fact. Hey? I think yeah. at that point, the collegiate volleyball, the routine of it, of, you know, getting up every morning and working out and then having a workout after classes and then an evening routine that had really settled into my lifestyle at that point. Um, and so I, I started teaching fitness classes while I was at Northern, you know, they have such a, a huge program there for exercise science and, and their fitness centers are so huge. So there's always opportunities to go and teach and to learn new different types of um, activities and the entire UP is just gorgeous for running so the running mm -hmm. started to stick with me at that point and um, it was something that I could still do and, and it helped me to deal with like the the pain of having lost something else was to just to be able to go out there and lose myself in the woods and um, so trail running is, is near and dear to my heart to yeah. be out there and with nature right which I want to get into but I want to focus for a little bit on the injury the volleyball side of things because mm -hmm. I think that's pretty I don't know a lot of this podcast, what I found out is there's many moments in people's lives that have been very instrumental. They didn't know it at the time, but looking back, they realized that it is. Mm -hmm. um, and not that we have to say that was super instrumental for you, but I, from the outside looking in, it seems like it right. was. But I'm curious for you on the volleyball side of point, volleyball standpoint, I picture there's a lot of athletes that are in it just because they're good at it, but they don't necessarily love it or mm -hmm. whatever it might be just such a wide range of people that are in it, obsessed, just passing by whatever else. If that happened to a different person, they might be like, Oh, no problem. I was kind of looking forward to be done with it anyway. Right. I'm just curious where you're at on that spectrum. Like was it, you said it was upsetting, but like, was it your life and you had looked forward to a future in volleyball or what was the, yeah, at that point, I was not a good, good at any other sport. So that was the one sport that I, I excelled at and yeah. 
so I, I, and I kind of have that personality where if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it all the way and I want to be the best. And so, um, and, you know, I mean, Finlandia is a division three school, so, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, relatively being the best that I can be. Right. And so, um, but yeah, I had always considered myself more of a power athlete. I grew up on a farm, so I was, you know, strength training by chopping wood with my dad and by throwing hay bales with, you know, the other farm kids. So, so that was being an endurance athlete, you know, you think of your typical endurance athlete, you don't think of someone who's really strong. And, um, so I, I never really pictured myself as that. Um, and, and now of course my mindset has changed. There's a lot of very strong endurance athletes out there if you're going to really go the distance, but, mm-hmm. um, it, it didn't even cross my mind at that point. It was always more of a power sport type thing. And in the team sport, because I love the camaraderie of, of having people around you. Yeah. And I think you, when you think of running, most people think of it as, I mean, it's considered an individual sport so you don't feel that um closeness is a lot of times mm-hmm. um except for in the ultra world i've i've have found that that's a little bit different too so right right yeah on the on the running side of things i want to can we give a like a many ways to go about this i want to get into the beginning and the trick the progression and what that all meant for you and how that was mm-hmm. um but can you give a a later in life snapshot of like where that has taken you on some, on a large picture, like ultra marathons, ultra running, stuff like that. Can you give me a large picture and then we'll go back to the beginning? Sure. So, um, running ultras has taken me to some of the most gorgeous places that I've ever seen places that you would not see by driving a car. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, places that you would not just go on your own. I mean, you're not going to go out on your own and run hundred miles or 200 miles. It's, you know, that's takes a lot of planning and it's, it's a lot easier to do if someone's got the route picked out for you and they have aid stations set up. So, so currently I run primarily 100 and 200 mile races. Um, I, I, I actually like the 200 mile race distance the best because it really takes a lot of knowledge and planning too. So it's more of an adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, and my latest 200 mile race was called the Bigfoot 200. And that was in Washington state. Um, so you run up for of the mountains out there so you're running like mount st helens is the first one so you're running on lava rock and just just some gorgeous terrain and you get to see all of it um and then you count go to mount adams and mount rainier and just see you know and you're in the race um you know some people say that candace she's the race director she's highly sadistic because she makes you run right to the top mm-hmm. and she makes you run right to the bottom so you're running to the, right through the rivers um you're climbing all of these mountains and and growing up in the up you know we think of like mount bohemia or copper harbor that those are our mountains right and mm-hmm. and they are you know now that i live in, in indiana those are some pretty good climbs but mm-hmm. when you go out west those are not climbs like right. there are some actual mountains out there right so I can remember it was just amazing um, when we would get to the top of a mountain and they would have a group of people there waiting to make sure that you did check in at the top and they would be like, oh my gosh, Michigan made it. You know, yeah. cause I, that was actually my, I, I just showed up there without having been to the mountains ever. Huh. And so they were really um, supportive and amazed by my ability to push through and make it to the top because it's some pretty technical running. There were some runners that had fallen and um one of the crossings was um just a log that you had to cross and it was a 30 foot drop and the guy in front of me he fell and ended up straddling a log below and just completely tore up his groin area had to be chopper lifted out of there and so um you know you can become very seriously hurt Mm -hmm. so 
um, my way of getting out of that i didn't have a crew with me so you can you can bring your own group of people to run with you um but it, you end up meeting people on ultra you're running at a pace that's conversational mm-hmm. so you get to talk to people and know people and so then you just buddy up with each other and you make sure that you both stay alive and you both stay alert and, and together so that's right. my most latest adventure okay <laughs> how many years I'll ask this question, then I want to go back to the beginning. How many years have you been in this ultra marathon, ultra running world? So I started ultra running when I was in grad school, which okay. was around um, 2012. Okay. Mm-hmm. So 10 years. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I want to take you back to the beginning, if that's okay. Yeah. And then I'll, even even again, back to the volleyball side of things. I really like looking at the psychology. So I like to hear about the obsession itself, the passion, mm-hmm. right, of the running side of things and what that has meant for you. But I really enjoy looking at the psychology. Right. And on that context, when you had gotten out of volleyball, was that tough on a psychological or a mental or emotional level? And did you eventually replace that with running or, or was running even bigger than that maybe but anyways can you can you touch on that yeah i think it definitely started to take over then um where i started to just continue continually work out so i would go out and run in the mornings and then swim afterwards um and then go to my classes and then go teach a couple aerobics classes and then go for a walk in the evening Mm -hmm. so already without knowing it i was building that ultra training schedule into because you have to get used to being able to move your body for 24 hours if you're going to run 100 miles it's going to take you about 24 hours as you know a non-pro athlete and so I i was building up that base training without even knowing it um but running had always had started to be like I started to notice that that was my strength then. Um, So that was like my priority training. That's why I would do it in the morning. Um, But I I did enjoy just moving my body all throughout the day. And so, um, and then if you look a little deeper into that, I think my parents are not athletes at all. Like they, um, you know, when I asked my dad for a set of weights, he just brought home another load of wood. It's, Mm. you know, we don't go to the gym, like that's crazy. And so, but they have this mentality of they're both work- workaholics. And yeah. so my mom is, uh, although my mom was a stay-at-home mom, like she never stopped moving all day. She was always cleaning or, you know, fixing the yard or something. And my dad would consider, you know, he would come home and I just worked a half day today, you know, and a half day was 12 hours because mm-hmm. that's 24 hours in a day. So he's definitely, um, they both definitely instilled that attitude of you, you go hard and you go all day long into me. So I think that deep down, that's kind of where that came from. Sure. Um, after I got my bachelor's degree, I then decided to join the army. So, um, I joined up and, and then, so having that education and then, um, those, my fitness started was, was kind of at its peak at that point, as far as like speed. Mm -hmm. So when you join the military and you do the two mile run test, um, you get placed into different like categories as far as your physical fitness and, um, so I, I was running like 530 miles at that time. And so I, I like maxed out every single PT test. Mm. And, and then because I already had a bachelor's degree, a lot of, and I went in as an enlisted soldier. So I could have went in as an officer um, and would have been with more people that have already degrees. But I decided to go enlisted because I wasn't, the military had never really been on my radar. Hmm. I, I've always um, really admired soldiers and, but I'm not really into like weapons and stuff. So um, I, I kind of like went back and forth if I really wanted to do that. But I, I've always, um, like I said, admired the soldiers and I want to be able to help them. So hmm. during this time, uh, you know, it's around the time, just shortly after 9-11 and everything going on. So I, I dove into that and um, 
decided to go and enlisted as a um, preventive medicine specialist. So that was my military occupational specialty. And so I graduated in the top of my class from that. I did, they give you three choices in the military where you want to be stationed. And I did get my top choice, which was Germany. Hmm. So going over to Europe and, and then seeing the mountains there is, was amazing. And, and then you're pushed to be, um, uh, into the different phys- physical fitness categories over there as well. While you're um, still a soldier, you still have to work out every morning, you know. And, and I do miss that of where they kind of just shut down the whole town or the whole base that you're on. And, you know, it's closed down. Everybody's working out at 530 in the morning. And hmm. so even though you're out there just running, you have still have a group with you. So that that sort of team aspect has always stuck with me. That's that's what I miss most, I think, about the volleyball is having that team and working together towards a common goal. Sure, sure. Um, what inspired the military side of things? You said that you always looked up to those people. And is that what it was or what inspired that? Uh, yeah, I've always looked up to soldiers. I've um, I've. I mean, I, I've always wanted to help people in general. I mean, you know, like looking at nursing and things like that too. Like that's always been a goal of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with the military is I love to travel. So, you know, if I, <laughs> I when I got out with my bachelor's degree um, and I was already married at this point, but my husband had decided to go on for his PhD. So, you know, being both college kids, we didn't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to travel the world. So that was, uh, now I get to travel the world for free if I'm a soldier. So I I decided to go for it. And then the, we, you know, the healthcare coverage and things like that as well too. So, so it's a little bit the financial aspect of it I, I was looking at too. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you were going into a role that you were with your background, right? The preventive medicine yeah. side of things? Yeah, so I got stationed at a hospital there. Um, I worked, it's the Lunchfield Regional Medical Center. Um, so it's the largest hospital in um, Europe. And so when soldiers get injured in Iraq or Afghanistan, they then are flown to us if they're not able to be treated like in a field hospital or something like that. And then from our hospital, if they were really bad, like, you know, we see a lot of IEDs or, um, you know, just such young soldiers in their early 20s with missing limbs are really badly burned. We would treat them and until they were able to fly over to the states because of course our best hospitals would be stateside so they would go over to fort sam houston and san antonio so and fort sam is where i did my training in, in san antonio okay i gotcha mm-hmm. so thinking about the running side of things you said that you were running in germany as well running mm-hmm. in your undergrad all that um but what did that progression look like? Was it still even in Germany, just like, hey, we're going for a five mile run, we're going for an eight mile run, or how quickly did that progress yeah. into these longer runs? Well, in um, I, I kind of was running more like my top runs were about eight miles um, because I usually only had like an hour to run, so I could fit in about eight miles. And the military, um, you know, of course you have. A, whole slew of very competitive people over there Mm -hmm. and so i got placed into a company and my commander was about six foot two and very competitive and very athletic and so i remember the first time we met him and he came out and did the group pt with us and he's like all right we're gonna go for a run and he was used to being in the lead and I was right behind, like right on his heels the whole time. And I didn't realize that, that I was irritating him <laughs> so much. Um, so after that, he's every time we'd go for a run, he'd be like, Drosher, get up front. And he, cause he didn't want me like breathing down his back. But once they found out I could run, they then started to put me into races over there. Um, I wasn't on like the army team or anything, but each company competes against each other. 
and we would do a lot of the local um, German races. And, and there's such a huge American community over there. So they um, would put on different races for us too. And there's this one that's at um, a castle and it's on um, Halloween weekend and my birthday's on Halloween. So I remember they entered me into this race and um, I, we ran up this castle while they were playing the monster mash. And so I ended up winning for our company and then our company gets points and then the overall company gets like a medal or something towards the end. So huh. did a lot of that. We did a lot of um, group running with um, like you would carry your, your company flag. So we'd run in groups of four and then we'd take turns carrying the flag and then um, so I started getting into like the half marathon distance and, and a lot of road racing there because with the competitiveness, they're just looking more at, at speed at that point. And so that's what I got into was more of a speed road racing type of a mentality then. Okay. But at that point, is this like running is of course an exercise, you enjoyed it, you're getting into it, mm-hmm. but was it like a a major major part of your life like you're waking up in the morning you're thinking about it at lunchtime you're eating your lunch thinking how can i improve my running like how much of your life was that on a like during the military that's when the um kind of obsession became because i was given so much reward and appreciation for it there um so that's when i i started it had to be up every morning and and it really became an unhealthy obsession i think at that point really? like okay. i was crabby if i didn't run and and when i would come home on leave or things like that like even though i knew i only had that short time to see my family i still had to get up in the morning and run first before spending time with them yeah um so yeah it was it was more of a an unhealthy addiction at that point um and that's when kind of after that i realized that um i got pregnant and i needed to i think when you get pregnant you realize more how much family means to you and that you do need to spend that time with them Mm -hmm. um so i they allow you as an enlisted soldier to um, opt out of active duty once you become pregnant and so I, I did have my um, firstborn son over here back in the States. And um, I came home when, he, when I was about six months pregnant. And I ran all through my pregnancy still. Got up every morning and ran till the day I gave birth that morning. I ran six miles. And, mm. <laughs> um, but once he was born, you know, having a newborn and my husband had just finished his PhD. So he's just started a new career and really needs to dive into that. That's when I started to realize like, I need to make my family a priority and just make this something that I enjoy. And I, I do spend time on, but it's not the unhealthy type of a session. Yeah, for sure. No, I can appreciate that. A couple of things is one, this podcast started from my passion for mule deer hunting. Mm-hmm. I l- love it. I enjoy it. I think about it year round. I research it year round. I try to train for it year round as much as I can. If I like went all in on how much I want to do it, I would be going on seven or eight hunts a year. I would be living it full time. It's like, it would never end. Mm-hmm. But for the sake of my family and for the sake of the little ones, it, it, it turns into once a year and that's okay. Like right. priorities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then too, even talking about the unhealthy portion is like when I named this podcast, the obsessed podcast, mm-hmm. I talked about it for a long time with my wife. Like she's like, there's a negative part of that. And I'm right. like, yeah, you're right. There mm-hmm. is. And like, I want to embody that too, you know, because yeah. the for sure like for the mule deer hunting thing for for you for running Mm -hmm. like you can take it too far you can be frustrated that you're not doing it when you should be just enjoying this 
right. beautiful moment or whatever it might be. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was part of it. Like, absolutely. There's a negative component. And I think acknowledging that and understanding that, like you went through is healthy, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Even just, you know, I see a lot too. I, I do go out and do a lot of group runs and stuff. And to me, a group run is just like a social activity. You're not there to really train. You're out there to just have, make it your easy run and get to know other people that are in the field as well. And, um, but I'll see a lot of people who will show up and they'll just come out there to do their speed work and, you know, be way ahead of everybody else. And it's like, well, what was the point of coming to a group run if you're not going to stay with the group? Right. Like sure. that's, that's what it's about. But I, I you know, and I think back about to the, what I did to the commander just being right on his tail. And I, I should have realized at that point that that it wasn't about my training. It was about the camaraderie that we were supposed to be building that day. And, um, but at that point I, you know, it didn't even click, didn't occur to me at all that that's what we were doing. So, right. Right. So I'm glad you said that and talked through the fact that, and you were able to acknowledge that it, there is a, an unhealthy component. Mm-hmm. What did that look like for you though? Because you said that if you weren't running, you were frustrated, right? Mm-hmm. But realizing it's unhealthy and then just having a newborn child and having to dial that back, even though you acknowledge and understand that it's healthy, was it difficult to dial it back? Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, having a newborn, you're sleep deprived. And then when you're sleep deprived, you're not eating properly. You tend to jump towards the sugars and the quick things and, Mm -hmm. or you don't have time to meal prep at all. Um, so, so then, you know, I definitely had to battle some demons. Like, you know, I can't be mad at this child. This child is here and I brought him here and Mm -hmm. this is, this is what I need to do right now. But, but it's still in the back of your mind. Like, I wish I could be out running right now. (laughs) You know, I did a lot of treadmill running while he was napping in and out. And so. Sure. Sure. So thinking about the running side of things, you said it you got longer in Germany and it became unhealthy. You had to dial it back. Mm-hmm. But at what point was marathons and, and, and even beyond that, the ultra running, at what point was that even on your radar? Had you ever even thought about that through to this point? No, I, I didn't even know that ultra marathons existed. I of course knew about marathons. And mm-hmm. so that was definitely something I, I started to build myself up to. So when I came back stateside, Well, I did actually one marathon over in Germany um, and that was my first one. So I think I I ran like a 345, which is, I ended up breaking my foot because I didn't have proper footwear while I was running it. And so I had um, a slight, um, I guess it was more of a fracture on the side of my foot, Mm -hmm. Um, but I ran it and then I was to deploy the next day. So I jumped on a plane and I was, um, we were on the Russian border. So we were in, in Republic of Georgia and Russia and, um, I was the only female there, the only female soldier. There were some female translators as well, but I was there and no access to healthcare. You know, it's, it's a, I don't, I don't know if any of you are too familiar with like Republic of Georgia, but it's a very poor country. And, you know, so you don't have access to much. We, we did have a field dock there, but you know, supplies were limited. Those were for the people who were actually like injured while we were training. So I kind of had to learn how to heal my injury on my own. So I did started to dive more into um, injury prevention and looking more into running and um, started to do a, a lot of like research on what other runners are doing. So I, I started to really focus in on marathons. Um, and then shortly after that deployment, when I came back to the States, um, I, I ran a few, I, my first stateside marathon was a Wisconsin marathon. It was the first year they had it. And I actually ended up placing third overall female in that yeah. race. And so then I had caught that, you know, new bug where I wanted to do all the marathons and, um, it did about four or five more road races. 
And that's when I think it came back to like, now I didn't have the military camaraderie. So I think that from my team sports of volleyball, I went into a military camaraderie where I always had a group around me. You've always got at least one battle body. And so coming back stateside, um, you have a lot of, I had a lot of guilt. Um, although I wasn't like deployed in Iraq or Afghanistan, being at the hospital, I saw so many soldiers that were injured so poorly. And now I'm out because, and I got out of active duty early. I still had to finish my reserve time, but you know, that's a lot different than active duty. And I'm just enjoying life with my family while these soldiers are still out there fighting. And you know, there, there was a stop loss at that point. So like they couldn't just get out when they wanted to a lot of soldiers. And so they're just constantly cycling through these deployments. So I, I dealt with a lot of grief and anger coming back to the States and became like extremely depressed. Hmm. And I think that the running, then I started to run more out in the woods mm -hmm. because that made me feel more at peace, but it also made me feel more like, um, when I was deployed over in the Republic of Georgia and, and, and on the Russian border, because we, we were kind of in the mountains, um, and we just, you know, slept on the ground a lot of times and we were training out there. So I think that that started to bring back more, um, a feeling of purpose and um, like being okay with myself while I was out in the woods. Mm -hmm. And so I would spend hours and hours out running just through the woods where, you know, at that point we were living up in Calumet. So up in the Keweenaw, plenty of woods to run through up there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Did you, so eventually either now or later, I want to, I want to talk about through hiking. Is that a world you think about, talk about engaging at all? I mean, obviously it's, mm -hmm. it's a, uh, much different than the ultra running, but they're connected in a way, maybe not. But either way, is that a world you're engaged in or yeah. thought about at all? And a lot of people don't understand, like in a hundred mile race, you know, you know, people say, well, I could never run for a hundred miles. Very rarely does even the pro runners run the entire hundred miles, you know, and, and the terrains can vary so greatly depending on where the race is. But when you're hiking up, a, a you're going to hike up a mountain. Mm -hmm. You're not going to blow out your legs by running up a mountain. Right. So, so you do do a lot of um, power hiking for training. So, and even when I'm um, like training on a treadmill, I'll put the incline on like a 12 and just um, to build that mental toughness, just beyond that treadmill for 90 minutes or two hours of just hiking up you know, power hiking up, um, a 12% grade. Right. So, um, I, that's something in, in fact, uh, two of my friends that I met, um, we did what's called the Midwest grand slam. So you run four Midwest 100 mile races in four months. Okay. And so, um, we all um, got to know each other as we were running those four races and you build up points for each race that you, however you place, whatever your time is. And so two of them were, um, are now retired and they are through hiking the entire Appalachian trail mm. hike and they're, they put posts out about it. And so I think that the, that would be fun. I don't think it's something I'd want to do alone. Yeah. Um, but I think if you, if you did have a, a spouse that could go with you or a friend, that would be definitely a goal of mine to do once I'm retired and have the ability to just like spend the summer hiking. <laughs> sure. Right. Right. No. Cause again, I told you this thing started from my excitement for mule deer hunting that eventually led to backpack hunting, mm -hmm. which it's the same thing that you're talking about. Like being in the woods, being in outdoors, whatever else, seeing the sunrise, seeing the sunset, seeing the stars at night, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. That whole experience is just unbelievable. And that eventually led me to the being introduced to through hiking, right? Appalachian right. trail, Pacific crest trail, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I, 
I have, I've talked about it a ton on here. I have such a strong desire to go do that someday. Um, and I might do sections of it or something like that, or, or, or who knows, maybe bring my kids once they're old enough to even come along or something like that. But that world is super intriguing to me, but the ultra running side of things, maybe it's just because it's so far out of my realm, but it just doesn't (laughs) even seem like it's a realistic thing. So eventually that's a question I want to ask you is can somebody who has very, very limited running experience get to that point, but we can, we can save it for later. But the, yeah, the, I don't know. There's some, some connections there I'm making, I guess, from my excitement to be outside and, and what yours is as from the trail running side of things and the through hiking side of things, it feels like they're all connected. You're going for more of a pushing yourself. I guess the through hiking is pushing yourself as well. But either way, you really appreciated the outside, the outdoors, the outside, and that you said you were working through some pretty tough depression. The outdoors helped with that. Yeah, I, you know, I, I grew up on a farm, and so I, I'd always been an outdoor. Per, I mean, I think most of the the UP is outdoor mm-hmm. people, but um, you know, grew up enough up on a farm. I was out, I was out, you know, running with my sheep. Um, we used to raise market lambs for the Houghton County Fair, so we by you know the part of the training was getting them to go for a walk well i grew up on a 300 acre farm so we just go out and run the fields and get the sheep to run with us and mm-hmm. um i did a lot of horseback riding and, and things like that so um or you know even just we'd be out picking potatoes half the day or baling hay all night you know especially like fourth of july weekend yeah that's what you're doing is you're baling hay instead of <laughs> out enjoying a picnic maybe at the end you get to have a picnic but mm-hmm. um I, you know, and, and just that, um, work ethic that my family had instilled in me is it, most of it was manual labor that was done outdoors. So that's where I, I feel like my piece is, is, is being outdoors. Yeah. Forrester research interviewed 206 senior technology leaders in major organizations responsible for software development sourcing. 63% said their software development service partners do not have a full understanding of their end customer. If you're dead serious about moving faster and getting more done, Zeratech Software Development can help you move forward with confidence. Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help solve your problems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. As they align with their clients, they use a proven method to understand the scope of the problem and help demystify the steps to make it go away. They will deliver the software solution you need, and they do it with the integrity that you'd expect from a family-owned business in the heartland of America. Schedule a call with the team at Zeratech today at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. No, I can see that again from your childhood, Mm -hmm. like you're saying as as well. But even if you don't have that childhood, isn't there some pretty strong connections of what that does for a person? Yeah. That has zero background in it, (laughs) that it's still hugely beneficial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny now that I live... um, I live in Chicagoland, so I, I technically live in, in Indiana, but we're right on the border of Chicago. And there are people who have never walked barefoot on grass or mm-hmm. um, while I was coaching cross country, I had two runners that I recruited and they um, had come in from the uh, city and they, the first cross country race, they, they weren't actually cross country runners. We just, they were dual athletes and they wanted to try it. So I was coaching for Finlandia at that time. And, and I said, well, sure, you know, come out and try a race. And they, we got to the course and they said, wait, we have to run on the grass. Mm-hmm. It was a, you know, like a golf course. And they were like terrified. And I'm yeah. like, how have you not been able to like connect with the earth like that? <laughs> and, and so, t- and, and I think that's, you know, um, amazing to be able to 
like in an ultra you do a lot of river crossing so you see so much different terrain and you know you you go through things that the average person wouldn't do an average person wouldn't just walk across a rushing river to get to the other side they would find a bridge but that's what you do in an ultra run and you run with your wet shoes and you sleep on the ground and um so we've you know become so accustomed to having all these modern comforts and it's i think good to disconnect and and to be able to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for sure uh, so in a second, I want to get into the ultra side of things and where that went. But mm-hmm. with those first marathons, what were those like? You said you got third in one of them, but you, so you're pretty competitive right off the bat, but yeah. either way, what were those experiences like? So those were painful. Okay. <laughs> um, they were, you know, I started to really, uh, um, push myself hard and that's where the, the marathon came in and I at that time I, I started to like pull away from people. I think I, I was mm. still battling this depression and I needed to find a place where I felt like I, I, I was doing something that I was good at again. Um, so I started to like, I liked road running because you didn't talk to each other and you were out there to just get your job done. And so I'm still kind of like in that an unhealthy zone too. And so that was a place where like, if you run the Chicago marathon or, you know, the, the, um, Wisconsin marathon was running Kenosha, bigger city areas. Um, you're running and somebody's like right at your elbows, but everybody got earbuds on, you don't talk to each other. And so again, it just became to like pushing yourself and, and feeling the pain, I think like feeling a different kind of pain rather than just that pain of the sadness that I had to deal with most of the time. Sure. So that's where that came in. Um, but then also I would get that little bit of a reward because I was excelling at it. So that's yeah. where that came in. And I was, um, that's where I started like coaching adults too. I, I was working like as a per- personal trainer. Um, so I would um, go out and get them to run these different races too. And so I was, I was trying to keep some of that camaraderie in there and trying to still be with people. But I think, you know, the depression really had a grip on me where I was happiest, like being alone and being on the road and, and just like st- lost in the music at that point. And I just, I needed to feel the pain at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just push through it. Eh? Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate you being vulnerable and just talking about that because for me, well, I think it's just important and powerful and realize that everybody goes through, not everybody, a <laughs> lot of people are going through similar things and never get to voice that or hear about it or even hear that somebody else is also going through that. Right. But for me, this whole podcast has been like one big experiment because I'm through you talking, I'm learning about myself mm-hmm. and I've learned a ton. And one of the things I feel like there's a connection with, I, talk, I talked about trail runners, backpack hunters, ultra runners, or, or through hikers, backpack hunters, ultra runners, that there's all this, like, I think a, a common arching theme above those. They all have their separate things, but with a personality type that gets into something the way that you do or the way that I do, and then you, before we got on here, you talked about podcasts that you had liked and that this, what was the hill? Uh, Rich Roll podcast, Rich Roll. yeah. And you said he had come from an, a, an addict place, right? Right. It seems like there's a, I, I talk about this on here, I'm, I'm super interested in the psychology, that side of things. It seems like similarly to those other three things having a connection, there's a connection, not necessarily in a person who is an addict, but maybe has addictive personalities, right? The mm-hmm. obsessive personalities, but also that maybe they're prone to depression, right? Right. Um, it, 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 so thinking about that, I found that I am most alive or most excited or most into something or feeling the best about life when I'm in something new, exciting, 
and, and it can be the same thing, but just another level. And I think that's what takes me, that's what makes me go to that extra level and take it further and further because that puts me in a place where I'm not stuck in a rut, where I have this new and exciting thing. And I think about it all day long. And I think that maybe is not like an evasive tactic to like face my demons, <laughs> but it's partially maybe that, you know, like it keeps you for me, just like I'm alive, I'm healthy. I'm, that's what I'm looking forward to. And I don't have that. I'm like empty inside. Right. I, I definitely have that addictive personality where you have to continually, um, like you said, keep moving up or moving up another level. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I, I see that in my, like, um, not only in my running career, but in my quest for knowledge. So mm-hmm. I, I got my bachelor's degree and then I joined the army and then I, um, came back on my master's degree. And then while we were still here, I actually started my PhD program. Um, and then my husband decided to take a job down in Indiana. So I, um, it's pretty hard to just switch your PhD program. So I had to then decide what I wanted to do. And, um, I'm now into back into nursing, you know, so I've come full circle and it's a little different world of nursing there that, um, you know, being in close to a big city, you have a lot more opportunities. I I really like the thought of being a flight nurse and we have several different um, choppers companies that go out and and you deal with all the car accidents and stuff. So, so again, another level of excitement, another level of knowledge and continually pushing myself and in all areas of my life. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm the same way. Again, I feel like I'm just continuously trying to learn everything I can get my hands on any book that I can, whatever I'm interested in that moment, like dive as deep as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. And there's downsides to not necessarily the knowledge side, but there's downsides to the obsessive personality, right? Because again, you might be more prone to addiction or, or again, not happy in this moment where you should be happy or whatever it might be. And I think that I somewhat phrase this because this is how I am and I just want to look at my life in a positive light, but I, I like it. I'd rather be this way versus right. not being this way. And it's okay. And like whoever, however somebody is, that's okay. But I'm just saying for me personally, I framed my mindset to say that I like this. I'd rather be this way and deal with some of the, I said empty inside when you don't have those kind of things. I'd rather deal with those because the passion or the fire inside you when you're going for those things, is, it's hard to describe. Yeah. I, and I see it in my own parents. My parents grew up here and they have never left here. They have no intention of ever moving. And, and a lot of people, you know, love the area. Um, but yet they complain about the long winters and, you mm-hmm. know, and they're getting up in age now. So it's, they don't need the big house and they certainly don't need the big farm to take care of anymore. And, but won't even move to like a smaller place on the canal because they're, you know, and I'm like, how can you just be so like, stagnant in a place mm-hmm. like I, I don't understand it and they don't understand me at all they're like how you know I've moved 15 times in my lifetime and I've switched my career and they just think I'm wacko you know yeah. like why, why are you doing this to yourself <laughs> and um you know I, I I remember even I did this there's a, a winter race called the Tuscobia 160 so you pull a sled on New Year's Eve with all of your gear and um do this 160 mile trek and the freezing cold it was negative 40 the first time i did it um and that was actual temperature <laughs> and 
um my dad came up to me and he's like you know why can't you just get drunk like normal people on new year's yeah. <laughs> like, what is wrong with you right. and but but again like you said like i've i've known this is my personality and i've just never even attempted to go into the drugs or anything because i i know that if i'm going to do it i'm going to do it until i die of an overdose yeah. like that's what's going to happen so i don't you know <laughs> i it's good i think it's really good if you can and I, I watch for that in my children now and, and I do have one son who's a lot like me. In fact, we went, went out for a five mile run today and he's like, I think I want to run a, a marathon now. And, you know, he's eight years old. And mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I really have to watch that with them that they have that addictive personality. And so I have to, you know, pick up on where exactly I'm pushing them. You know, when he, when he was in um, daycare, he went to Little Huskies. And so, and, and when this whole area is like a hockey area, but he would just call it hockey school because it was, it was so close to the SDC and he would see all the hockey players going in and then we'd go watch the Huskies games, of course. And so that he was going to hockey school and he was gonna be a hockey player. And I remember like, I don't, I try to cook fairly healthy. And so I made chocolate chip pancakes for Christmas one morning. And, um, he's, I was like, yeah, you want some pancakes? And he said, no, I didn't get my workout in yet. So I have to go work out before I eat them. Otherwise I get a belly ache. And I'm like, you know, you're, at that point he's like six years old. And like, so, oh, yeah. you know, he's already starting to develop, you know, some unhealthy habits that I have to really put into check and, and try to make him recognize that too. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. The, but with that though, my wife is a personal trainer, mm-hmm. uh, and she will work out at home and she really likes the fact, well, sometimes she'll work out at home and she likes that our kids will like, she'll be doing pushups and our kids will go over there and do pushups on their knees and whatever else is that like, if you live that kind of a lifestyle, mm-hmm. you don't even push it on your kids and they will actively seek it out. Right. Yeah. Is that the same thing? Like, not like it's necessarily yeah. a bad thing. It's just that he's watching you through example. Yeah. Yeah. I, we've never tried to like push our kids into any sport. We just kind of let, let them see what they want to do. Um, and so, uh, you know, he's, I remember the first 100 mile race I ran, it was at Kettle Moraine and there's, um, a hundred K and then there's a hundred mile race. Mm-hmm. So everybody goes through the first, um, drop off, which is like the hundred K mark. And so you can drop there if you want and, or you continue on if you're a hundred miler, but that's your family can wait there for you and, and say hi and help you with whatever you need. And he was there with my other, um, son and my husband. And I, it was my first one. And I, I blew out too hard and it was a really hot day. And I was like, I don't know if I can go on. I'm telling my husband and I'm, I feel sick and nauseous and I, I didn't hydrate enough. And, um, but it, that was also part of the Midwest slam. So if I dropped that first race, I had wasted money on all the rest of those races. So there was that battle going on too. And my husband was encouraging me. And then my son said, well, I'll finish the rest of the race with you. you yeah. know? And he's, you know, five or six years old. And I'm like, well, it's 40 more miles still. And he's like, yeah, I got this, you know, but he did, he came out and ran like two miles with me. And then my husband picked him up at that checkpoint. And, um, so, so they've been to a lot of my races and, and I don't think a lot of people realize like, you know, people know about marathons, but they're like, oh, my mom runs a hundred miles. And people are like, yeah, right. You know, you don't know what you're talking about. And like, no, like she does. (laughs) So, um, it, it is interesting, but even we have a home gym. Um, we kind of built that throughout COVID and, um, so if I even go down near the home gym, my kids are all following me down there and they're going to do something while I'm down there lifting weights or whatever I'm doing too. So we have a little basketball net for them set up. So if they even start shooting baskets or whatever, they're, they're going to do some sort of physical activity while we are too. So it's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's sweet. And you were talking a little bit 
little bit ago about the uh, personality and that you've moved 15 times, whatever else, and they don't understand you. Have you, again, I, I find myself gravitating towards this on a, on a psychological level. Have you looked into like your personality or personality types or what that looks like and, and why that might be? No, I really haven't dived like too much into it other than I know like I'm a, I'm a type A, I'm, a, you know, I'm the oldest child. I like to be in charge of things. Mm-hmm. I like to be the leader. Um, and so, you know, and that, and that I am addicted to things other than that. I haven't like taken too many personality tests or anything like that. Yeah. And I think it can be a rabbit hole. I haven't gone yeah. deep down <laughs> it. Um, and, and maybe it's not even worth, again, I don't think, you, I don't think you should go too far. Anyways, I'm just curious about the it sounds like we have a lot of similarities in mm-hmm. what we're into and how we get into it. And that the little bit of research I've done, whatever the, uh, the Myers Briggs personality type, I think is what it's called that, that my personality type is like craves change really appreciates it. And, mm-hmm. and that again, goes along the lines of like that biggest and better and next step. But absolutely. I could be totally happy moving every three years for the rest of my life, moving mm-hmm. and changing a new career every three years or however amount of time that is right. and be totally comfortable. Whereas to some people that's foreign. Right. Um, and maybe is that a, is that a generational thing or is it a uh, personality thing? Do you think? Yeah, I think it is more of a personality because there are a lot of people my age and in fact, my like husband's siblings and stuff too, like they, they won't even fathom driving through Chicago or, you know, Mm -hmm. like the, the busier areas or, you know, so I do think that that's a personality type that they just don't like to have change in their life. They're secure what they have and they feel they don't want to maybe go outside of that comfort zone. And sure. maybe it's, you know, some sort of anxiety. I know a lot of people deal with anxiety and things like that too. So, mm-hmm. um, and which can be pretty serious if, you know, if they, if that is a trigger for them to, to move to an area where they don't know anybody or right. things like that. Right. But. So I want to get into the ultra side. When did that, even come on your radar and then how long did that take for you to start getting into something like that? Um, so the military provides what's called a GI bill. So it's a, a set of money that you can use to go to grad school. So after I, um, finished my active duty time, I decided to go back to school to get my master's degree. And I went back to Northern Michigan university and went into their exercise science program. And we had a professor who came from Colorado and he had just moved in and he ended up being my thesis advisor um, and he was an ultra runner. Hmm. And so he talked a lot about it during a lot of his lectures and he um, decided that we would do my thesis on ultra running. So Marquette has what's called the um, Marquette Trail 50. So there's a um, 50K, 50 mile and... uh, I think that they have a hundred K now to race, um, up like Hogsback mountain and all, all the beautiful trails that they have out in Marquette. And what we were going to do is, um, test some of these ultra runners after before and after a race to look at some of their arterial stiffness, um, which is uh, something that we can look at to kind of, um, it's kind of another factor that relates to their overall cardiac health. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, there's not a lot of research done even, even to date on, on how does running for 24 hours affect a person's body. Um, so it was interesting. I started to dive into the, to the research about it. Like, um, is it too much for the body to handle or, you know, is it okay? And, and then I got to meet some of these ultra runners as they came in for testing before the race. Um, 
And then to do a research study, you have to have at least 12 people to complete like a, a decent study. So that's kind of the goal is to get 12 to 20 people. Um, and it had a lot of people that it, it was difficult to recruit them because usually when people show up for a race, they're coming in the day before. They just want to get their stuff unpacked, get ready for the race, relax, and then race and be done and usually leave the next day. But I was able to find exactly 12 people hmm. to do this research. But so they all came in for the pre-testing and then one of them decided that she wasn't going to run the race. Like that night, she ended up with some stomach issues and wasn't going to run the race. So I only had 11 people. And my thesis advisor looked at me and said, I guess you're running 50K tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I did not train for that race at all. I had been running consistently. I I mean, ever since I I started my first day of my bachelor's degree, I'd been running, um, but no specific training and then being a competitive person like that was like really stressing me out but I was like well I had to again sit down like what's more important the fact that I don't win a race or do my best at a race or or do I finish my thesis Mm -hmm. right and so I had to have that inner battle with myself and I I, um, decided that I was I was going to do this race and however it turned out it turned out and um, so I kind of went in with um, only having that marathon background of speed and uh, (laughs) Um, took to that race and ended up winning that race. And I, I think just going in with the blind, no knowledge of the course whatsoever, I, you know, that wasn't my focus at the time to study the course. It was to study the, the runners and um, just went into it hard. But but again, that mentality of I'm going to get this done, push through and push through hard and um, came through with a win. And after that win, I was addicted for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is something I can do. And it was yeah. so fun to, to run through those trails. And the people are, I mean, I was just laughing during the research. I mean, this guy came up with, we were testing their body fats. And so we, um, you ha- we had one of those scales where um, you stand on a barefoot. And mm-hmm. so then it can, it reads like your percentage of water and things like that. And um, his feet were so calloused from all the running he had done that it, the body fat couldn't even pick up on it. So we had to do a, the manual body fat test on him huh. and just, just listening to some of their stories about, you know, he's like, well, yeah, I ran. 30 miles the other just two days ago i probably shouldn't have done that before this race but and and i was like oh well what hotel are you staying at he's like no i'm just sleeping in the back of my car and i he's like i'm just gonna head home the next day and i was like well where do you live and he's like well down near lansing i'm like so you ran 30 miles two days ago you're gonna sleep in your trunk of your like subaru and run 50 miles and then get in your car and drive home by yourself to lansing (laughs) yep that's what i'm gonna do and i'm like this is my people. These yeah. are, <laughs> I need to learn more about them and hang out with them. So it was just, I think just the intrigue of like, what can you, how far can you really push your body and what can you do and what can you, your body tolerate? Do you, do we need these big comfy beds to survive? Or is that just something that marketing is telling us? And so right. that's kind of the direction I went in and went from a 50 K to a 50 mile to hundred mile and then to 200 miles. Yeah. Crazy. Mm-hmm. So wait, that when, when your professor said, looks like you're running tomorrow, the, I don't know how to phrase this even correctly, but let me think your debate wasn't whether or not you can do this. It was whether or not you should be okay doing it, even though you won't be at your peak. Or that's yeah, what you thought it was more of the it, psychology. Right? I mean, psychology can, can really 
break an athlete. I think, and especially in running, it's, it becomes so much of a mental game. So, you know, the minute you start getting passed by people who are walk, you know, fast walking, cause that you start to tighten up and you, you know, you think you're running, but you're so tight and your short stride is so short that somebody who's been just power walking can surpass you. And, mm-hmm. and, um, I was like, you know, you know, I'm not trained for this. I hadn't been out on these trails and, and I knew that if I started getting passed by a lot of people, I was going to fall apart and, you know, then, then what am I going to, you know, I don't want to lose that passion for running and is that going to destroy me? And so, so yeah, it was more of an inner battle of, hmm. do I, you know, forget my thesis or do I, you know, potentially lose interest in running? And <laughs> so. <laughs> so you understand that's unusual, right? Because if, yeah. if I was in that situation, I wouldn't be worried about like not winning or my thesis. I'd be worried about like, can I physically handle this? And it's just cause I'm not a runner. Right. But you, you were yeah. in very good shape for the running at that point, but mm-hmm. still it's just crazy that that's the argument in your mind. But either way you went into it, uh, and you won it. You weren't expecting that at all. No. And, and now, you know, I'm like, this is not something to train for. And, and, um, what, you know, I didn't know, like I said, usually now I'm going to study the course. I'm going to know where the hills are. I'm going to specifically train for, you know, they've got some pretty rugged terrain out there on those where, I mean, you're literally climbing on your hands, using your hands to climb up some of those mountains. Um, so normally I would study that, like there's some stairs you've got to run. I would be training those and I had just been running some pretty regular trails. And, um, but I, I was, I think now that I look at it and I, I look at these other races that people do, a lot of times the people who do win these big races, like right, one of the biggest races in the U.S. is Western states. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's highly televi- televised and things like it's all, you know, pro runners. But a lot of times people who win are people who are first timers at their 100 mile race because they go in there and you don't know how much it is going to hurt. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of, you know, naive to everything that you're going to face. And so I kind of do wonder sometimes if it's better to not really study too much into it to just go out there and push yourself however hard you're feeling that time at that day and um just keep thinking you know i keep telling myself like it's only a couple more miles it's only a couple more you know in reality you still got 20 more miles to go and Mm -hmm. (laughs) so so you said you were addicted you really enjoyed that feeling right when you won that 30k that you had run or is it 50k excuse me 31 miles i was doing the conversion Mm -hmm. in my head um you were addicted right then where did you take it from there? Yeah. From then on, it was like, I'm only doing ultras. Like okay. it was, it was, um, because I, like the first 10 miles, you know, I knew I, I kind of got to started talking to people and you know, that was new for me. And I started to enjoy that aspect of it, of it feeling a little bit more like a team sport where you're, you're, you know, helping each other along by talking and keeping your mind off the fact that your legs hurt. And so you run the first 10 miles and you don't, you're like, Oh wow, 10 mile 10. And I, didn't even realize I was running yet. And so, so that feeling was, um, pretty amazing. And, and then just the fact that it's not something that everybody does, you know, I think, you know, so many people have run a marathon now that it's, it just doesn't feel like it's really that much of a challenge, you know, if like Oprah Winfrey can do it, then it's like, right. well, and, um, so I, I like that, the fact that not everybody can do it and it's something that's new and challenging. And now it's also a field that, um, women can surpass men. And so it's, that's also intriguing to me. I've always been like an advocate of female sports and, and being able to, um, you know, run right up there with some of the top males. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, but on a, like a technical level, what did you get into? Did you like hey, three months later, we're running this 
yeah, race or I, what, did, what did that look like? I started, I think my next race was a 50 mile race. It was about, um, well, that was in August and I, I don't like the winters. Like that's okay. part of the reason why I don't live up here anymore. Um, but so I think I waited until about February of the next year and that's when I ran my 50 mile race. Um, and then from, um, I think I only ran one 50 mile race and then I did a, um, I started doing the hundred mile races after that. So that's when I went to Kettle Moraine and I ran that one out in, um, near Milwaukee area. Yeah. Uh, and still, where's your mindset at going into a hundred mile race? I mean, I, I, it's just so far outside my <laughs> realm. What, what are you thinking? What are you, what, what's the actual experience like? And what is that? What is that whole experience? I, I mean, it's just so far foreign to me. Right. So right now I, it's, it's really just like, this is my adventure. This is my time to, um, to go back into that like obsession, I think of like, I'm not going to have my phone with me. You're mm -hmm. not going to be able to, to reach me. This is my time to be alone with nature again. Mm. And so I, I like that part of it where, um, I get to kind of dive back into that little bit of a obsession with it. Um, it is nice. I mean, you get to see your family like at checkpoints and stuff, but it's more of like, this is my adventure. This is my time. And, and I need this to kind of regroup and get back into the role of being a mother of three children and, you know, having a career and things like that. Yeah. Right. So do you, you said you like the alone, alone time and that's your time, but you also touched on the camaraderie side of things where you're running together. Right. So um, it's like different people too, I guess. Okay. So not like you're, um, Oh sure. Right. I yeah. mean, people have the same mindset, but they're people that you don't necessarily like talk to on a regular basis. You yeah. know, I think, although I'm like, I'm kind of extroverted. I, I do like leading things. I like being a, a, over like in charge of a group and things like that i also i need that time where like i'm alone during the day and it's mm. just me and my dog or you know nature and things like that so and then I, I do need that time to just like completely recharge so that's i think where these hundreds and 200s come in is i i do get that little bit of time where i just completely recharge it's not just you know two hours of my day right right and yeah, because you don't get to that magical point until hour 24 or two, oh, whatever right. it might be. I don't know. So beyond the two-hour point, like you said, right? Mm -hmm. um, but no, is there a dynamic, like you said, you're recharging because you're with people that you're not with every day? Yeah. Is there I something think... there where like if, if, if you're running with somebody that you know, I cut you off. But if you're running with somebody that you know, uh, yeah, there's something there where it's different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Um... I don't, I, I, I guess I put a lot of pressure on myself. So if you're with somebody that you're always with and I feel like I always have to be at my best with them. So like whatever they know me as, sure. and like you're always on, right? right? Everyone's always watching you. And, and um, I think you need that time where you're away from them and you get to hear somebody else's story that you've never met before. And you're not really putting all that pressure on yourself. There's a lot less pressure, I think in ultra, because if you even finish a hundred mile race, like it's, that's amazing. Doesn't, mm -hmm. you know, people aren't like asking what your time is. Usually the first question is, oh my gosh, like you finished, you know, whereas if you run like a 5k, they want to know what your time is and things like that. Um, so as I'm, you know, I'm 40 now, as I'm getting older and starting to slow down, I need to be able to take that pressure off of myself of, okay, I'm not running 530 miles anymore and mm. that's okay. So, you know, because, because I still feel like I should be able to run those and, sure. you know, I'm just need to be still okay with myself. And when you're out running hundred miles, it's okay to go a little bit slower and to just en enjoy the sport that you love and not 
always push yourself like you did when you were 20 and sure. I mean, not that there aren't there are still people that are highly competitive but i've had like a couple injuries too that are i'm just not going to be at the peak that i was and i need to be able to accept that which was definitely hard to do mm-hmm. so <laughs> so i'm asking about what's your thought process going into that all that kind of stuff but how like if you can break it down you ran some marathons now you're running a hundred mile race mm-hmm. what is the difference in a like a thought process or an approach and, and not even necessarily on a technical level, maybe on a technical level, but like, how do you, cause a marathon you're running as much as you can the entire time. Right. Yeah. Uh, in theory anyway, mm-hmm. and a hundred mile races, that's true as well. Uh, yeah. You, I mean, you, you still are it? pushing yourself. Um, you're still, but you're, um, going to start out quite a bit slower. Okay. I mean, obviously. And so, um, but I, I do find like towards the end, even like the last, usually the last half marathon. So the last 13 miles, that's actually some of my fastest time. So I, I'll go back to running like seven thirty miles, huh. even though I'm, you know, 90 miles in or so, um, because you know, you're going to be done. So part of it is also as I'm just intrigued to keep learning, like, and, and the best way to learn is to experience it, right. Is, is to, like, what can my body handle? Yeah. And, and, um, I also have a strong interest in nutrition. And so like with my addictive personality, I, I went through a whole eating disorder period too. Mm. Um, and I had to go to some, um, an inpatient treatment in, in California for, um, I had anorexia and, you know, kind of went back and forth bulimia. So, um, so nutrition is, is definitely hard. It's not like drugs. You can't just stay away from it, right? You still have to feed your body no matter what. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's definitely a battle of that. And, um, and that was another drawing for ultra running is, um, like you don't, um, you can't just cut out food. Like you have to fuel yourself. So I have that interest in like, you know, every race is so different and that can really make or break you is, is the temperature. And so you need to know what, how you're going to be able to fuel and what you're going to be able to handle, um, and be able to digest, um, and just making yourself be okay with eating every hour and taking in those calories and eating some real foods while you're out there. Um, so I love the planning aspect of it. So while I'm out there running, I'm, I'm thinking about like, what do I need to eat next when it cools off at night and I have to slow down just because it's a little more technical and I can't see as well. Um, like, can I eat some whole foods then? So, so the whole time you're, you're kind of thinking and planning about how to keep yourself healthy and safe rather than I need to run myself until as fast and hard as I can, no matter how bad, like I feel. Right. So it's, um, again, just trying to develop some of those healthy habits and keeping yourself like in a nice sane place with it (laughs) yeah right so a few things along the the, what your the mindset side of things when you are running 100 miles actually can you get into that first one what was that like the first 100 mile that you did yeah the first 100 mile was uh definitely difficult it was a extremely hot race um and kettle rain has a lot of like up and down quick hills and I, i guess i didn't realize that so that's um you have to learn how to kind of like get hit you know, usually you hit a stride, right? And so you hit that stride and you can just go with it and you start to feel good. But when you're doing an ultra, a lot of times you're going to have, um, you know, different types of climbs and different terrains. So you're going to, your stride's going to be really mixed up. So it's a lot of like experimentation. Like how do I manage the fact that my body is tightening up with all these like quick ascents and then quick descents on on my legs how do i not blow up my legs and of course i did uh, you know i started out too hard and um 
really tore up my quads and then had to suffer with it um, towards the nighttime. And so the nighttime is is nice because it's cooler Mm -hmm. and you can hopefully catch a little bit more speed if it's not too technical. Um, But I and I didn't have a crew with me at that time. I mean, my husband was there, but he didn't come through the night with me. Nobody paced along with me. So in an ultra, you can have someone actually run with you and kind of keep you alert. So you start to kind of like get tired, you know, of course it's like, for me, it's around 2 a.m. is when I start to like start want to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. And um, it happened to be a couple in front of me and I could hear him, the husband was telling the wife and the wife was um, the competitor and he was going, okay, now shuffle, 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 walk, walk, walk. And, and so I kind of got into that rhythm with them where <laughs> I was just kind of hanging back with them. And so, you know, you find that in ultras, that's another thing you, you learn from the other runners, like, you know, oh, they tried this or that. And, but anyway, I got into that rhythm with them and I kept myself shuffle, 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 run, run, run. And I was like, well, they're doing it. So it's okay to just shuffle, not to just run the whole time. And, um, kind of was learning a- along the way during my first 100 mile race. Cause you know, there, at that time there wasn't too much information out there on it. It is, it is becoming a little more mainstream at that point. And then as the sun comes up around 5 a.m., you start to catch your second wind. You're getting close to the end. Um, and then those last few miles, you're like, I just want to be done. Yeah. <laughs> and you start to pick up the pace and you can, um, you know, it's just amazing at how, how much speed you can pick up when you, when you tell your mind, like, okay, this is the last chunk. Let's do it. Let's get the best time that we can. Yeah, <laughs> right. Have you read, I just finished two days ago, David Goggins book, Is It Can't Hurt Me? I think it's called. Are you familiar? Have you read it? Uh, I haven't read his book. I am familiar with a lot of his um, stuff that he's put out though. Yeah. Okay. So I tell you that it's so foreign to me. The concept itself isn't as foreign just because some exposure reading that book. I read like, have you read Born to Run? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That's a that's another good one as well. Or hear about these different guys that do this. So I'm familiar from like a, a bystander level, but just on what that would actually feel like level. But yeah, he talks a lot about that, about the mindset and like how far can you actually push yourself. But you didn't have anybody to pull that from like you just went through that yourself right right? yeah yeah I've never had like a in all of my races I've never had a pacer or I didn't have I've never had a crew that like um like in the 200 mile race they would drive from mountain stop to mountain stop and bring your gear to you or you know they can help you to if you've got to change clothes or whatever Mm -hmm. um but my husband's has his own career and my kids are still pretty young so I I've always kind of just gone out there on my own but also I, I like that. I like to be able to say I did this race and mm-hmm. I didn't have anybody, you know, helping me along. I, I like that aspect of it. And that's a, something that a, a few more races are pulling into it. Like the Tuscobia, they don't allow you to have it. Like this is a survival huh. type of a thing. And I, I think that relates a little bit more to life. Like if you were, if you were to do a through hike or something, like you need to be able to take care of yourself and, you know, cause there might not be anybody there, there to help you at, at any given point. And right. Right. So that hundred mile race while you're going through it or in any of these races, like, is it, it must be meditative at points, right? Or maybe mm-hmm. for a lot of it, is it like you're, you're processing things in your life and stuff like that. And you, you sit talking about recharging all that kind of stuff. Is it a med- meditative thing or are you so engaged in the technicalities that you don't No, It's, it's definitely a time to just zone out and, okay. and, you know, think about your life and, um, think about your goals. And that's, that's how I like, I don't listen to music or anything. I just kind of, I like that time to like space out and think through what's going on in my life. I think, you know, when I was doing my first 100s, I was um, a collegiate coach. And so you're, 
you know, constantly getting bombarded by texts from all of your athletes and you're thinking about them year round. And mm-hmm. so a very busy full-time career and kids. And we had a hobby farm at the time too. So it was uh, definitely a time where I, I needed that time to just like think and, and to actually process things that were happening in my life. Yeah. Right. No, cause for me again, uh, on the, on the hunting or even the thinking about the hiking, done some of that, that's what it is for me. A lot of it being able to process things. Like I find myself without even thinking about it, like I'll be just letting your mind wander and you go down this rabbit hole, you go down this rabbit hole, you go down this one and then you realize something, oh, I didn't, this thing happened and I never processed that. And like, not like you're like sitting here, like let me process this, but just thinking about it is like very healthy. Mm-hmm. And you go down here, go down here, whatever else. And just letting your mind wander is a place that in my current life, I very rarely get to unless I very intentionally go and, and do this hike or do this thing just cause I'm so, yeah, so busy. And it's across the board. I'd say that's probably true with everybody, right? Absolutely. I think that, you know, as a society, we have definitely gone away from that. We're so busy just going through the motions that we don't take that time to, to just be with our thoughts. And which is interesting. I actually, while I was in college, I did, um, an outreach program where we, I, I was supposed to go with a volleyball team. Um, and there was going to be a football American football team going as well. And we were going to go to the Czech Republic and teach kids over there how to play the various sports. Hmm. Um, but every one of the volleyball players, except for me, ended up injured throughout the season. So I, they said, well, either we can refund you your money or you can go with the football team. Um, so, and it was, it was called Christian outreach international. So they had a little bit of a Christian aspect to it as well. And, um, I was like, well, I'll go, I'll go with the football team, you know, I, I can help them. I don't know football, but I'll help them out. Whatever I got to do, I'm sure I could teach kids how to throw a ball. And so we went over to the Czech Republic. And one of the things that the coach made us do is every morning, um, like you'd go do your workout and then you would have 30 minutes of, of time where you would like sit and journal. And he made us intentionally do that every time. And hmm. so I, I really enjoyed that time to just like sit and think and write out your thoughts and yeah have you good. have you kept that with you yeah definitely and and i try to encourage my kids to do it too because otherwise you know it's you know it's wake up get the kids go to school get yourself to work and then you deal with the chaos of the day and you're exhausted by night and so so i've kept it to, to doing that in the morning where i have time to just and sometimes I do it while I'm on my run. Like I'll do the thinking part of it then. Sure. And then I'll, I'll journal some of it after I get back. Um, but I try to keep at least 30 minutes of actual journal time too. Huh. I think I might do that. My friend and I were just talking about that the other day. And it's something I've thought about for quite a while because there's a lot of days I'm pillow to pillow. Like I wake up in the morning till I hit the pillow at night and I didn't take uh, right. 30 seconds to think. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, I see that a lot with, um, most people I know it's just such a busy lifestyle that we lead as Americans Mm -hmm. for sure yeah so then okay getting back to the running side of things you did that first 100 mile race and that was 2012 ish or what point was that in the timeline Mm. no that was in 2016 I believe okay um but then what's the progression from there you've done several of these uh, yeah. So actually uh, when I signed up for that first one, I signed up for the Midwest Grand Slam, which was, um, four hundreds and four months. That was right when you signed up right away. You yeah, got right. I was like, okay. do it all right at, at the same time and, uh, keep myself motivated. So, yeah. so can you walk me through what those four were like? <laughs> so, well, my mentality going into those races was, um, being able to not get injured throughout that. So I didn't know what it would look like 
to be to run 100 miles and then a month later run another 100 miles and then you only had a two-week break then you ran another 100 miles and then um, you had another month break and then you ran the final 100 miles so my mentality at first was just like make it through all of them injury free and then push yourself on the last one um and so the first one was kettle moraine and i I really struggled with that one i you know i I didn't really know exactly how to manage my nutrition and how to stay awake through the night but um made it through that and then the second one i I felt a, a little bit better going into that one so um i had gotten down the nutrition I, I learned to although I don't like gels I, I learned that those are one of the things that I can work with throughout the heat because um, these were all in, in the summertime and so that one I was um, really keeping on schedule of just like setting my clock to every top top of the hour I was taking in a gel whether I had to force it down or not to make mm-hmm. sure I got into those calories so that the second race went a lot smoother um, I knew what to expect in the nighttime um, and I knew that it would it would probably be best to find someone that was kind of hanging around my pace at that time and try to um, stick with them through the night so that we could keep each other alert and awake. Um, so that's kind of what I did is I met up with a couple of different people and, um, you know, if one had to go, you know, stay a little bit longer at aid station, I'd just jump in with the next person and, and make it through the night while we could chat and keep each other going throughout the night. And so that second one went better. Um, so I was pretty nervous about the third one. So, but actually that was my strongest race. So, um, it was out the Mohican 100 is in Ohio and, um, but it was just such a gorgeous race and, um, there was waterfalls and really great rock outcrops. Um, and it's a two loop course. So that kind of was an advantage as well because you run that first loop and then you know exactly what to expect on the second loop, um, which is the, and so you're more into the night on that loop too. Um, and so that that one went really well. I fell in love with that entire course out there. Um, and by that time, I had gotten my nutrition down, mm-hmm. and um, so that that really kept on pace. And I was actually surprised at how quickly, like, so after you finish a 100 mile race, um, I my coach had taught me to just like go out and do some active recovery. So I would do some little jogging, like even the next day out on a beach or something where I could like, just like not have as much impact on my legs, but keep them moving again. So I'd start to do that. Um, you, you feel a lot of fatigue right after a hundred mile race. So you start to do a lot of like napping in between. And, and luckily my employer at the time, um, was a runner as well. So he's like, if you need to nap during the work day, just, take your break and go take a nap and Hmm. come back and so I was very lucky that way um and it wasn't until like the 10th day after my that second 100 mile race that I could actually like hold a steady pace for over an hour again that um I I felt fully recovered and so just barely going into that third 100 mile race that I even feel like my legs could move for one hour steady right but um yeah that uh, i don't know like my body was like okay this is what's going to happen and i got this and i I know what to expect and so that third race was my fastest time and it was one of the more more technical courses and um so i I felt really great going into that one yeah and then had the month off to recover before going to um 
actually in Hell, Michigan, which is um, somewhere is in Lower Michigan, and you run it's the Woodstock races. So they have a different set of races, and so this one is called the Hallucination 100, um, and that's kind of their theme, like tie dyed, and it's. Um, it, the only thing that was different about that race was they start at four o'clock in the afternoon. So most races you start at like four in the morning or five in the morning. So you're starting out when it's cooler and then you're kind of letting your body acclimate to that heat. So this one we came into and it was uh, about 98 degrees, humid. Um, so just standing there waiting at the start line, we were just drenched in sweat already. Right. And it was a four loop course. And, um, I remember after the first loop, uh, I I heard some people saying that, oh, oh no, it's going to rain the rest of the, of the afternoon. So I ended up throwing a rain jacket into my, my pack and was um, more prepared. It rained and it cooled off like tremendously. And I've... Um, some of the runners actually had to be um, taken off the course and, and luckily this course had like hot showers so they were um, brought to the hot showers because they were suffering from hypothermia because mm. we had a, such a drastic change in the weather um, and it rained for 18 more hours straight and uh, the soil in lower Michigan is much more like clay type of a soil so it's slippery mm -hmm. so it was like being in a slip and slide out there and it was <laughs> it was a pretty miserable long race out there trying to uh, you couldn't even really run on the trail you had to run kind of on the grass on the side when you could and um, but I was like this is the final race I <laughs> I need to make it through um, there was only one other female left in the Grand Slam at that point, and um, 16 miles into that last race, she developed, um, uh, she had uh, some stomach problems. I think she had actually had food poisoning, mm. and so she had to drop the race. And so I was the only female left in, in the race. So I'm like, if I finish this, you know, I, I'm the winner. And, and I didn't want it to be a year where there was no female winner. So I was like, I'm gonna do it no matter what. and. And I, I did have my phone on me at the time, I remember, um, and I was I was uh, still coaching at the time, and I remember my athletes texted me that morning, because even though they knew I ran 100 miles, they didn't really understand that you're gonna run from 24 hours, right? right? So they're texting me that morning, they're like, it's raining outside, do we really have to go do our workout? Because I, I, I just sent them their workouts, what to do, I go, don't even complain. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I've been running for 18 hours on this. Get out there and run for 30 minutes in the rain. And, right. um, they're like, oh, okay. I guess if coaches run for 18 hours in the rain, we better get out there and get the workout done. So they, they did. But um, so, yeah, then I ended up getting that overall um, win for the Midwest Grand Slam. And I was like, after that, I'm like, now what do I do? That's bigger and better than this. So. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's crazy because we could spend an hour talking about each race, like yeah. how it went for you, what you learned, who you talked to, the camaraderie, the whole side of it, but mm -hmm. just time doesn't allow that. Right. But so let's dive into the next thing The you just said what's next and bigger and better. And what was that for you? Yeah. So I started to research races and, and, um, like I mentioned earlier, I've, I've never really been a fan of winter. I'm not really <clears throat> into too many winter sports. Um, you know, I, I like skating and, uh, um, things like that, but I, I guess I consider skating to be kind of indoor cause you're usually somewhere enclosed. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but I, I thought, you know what, if we're going to live here and, and at that point in my life, I, we had kind of bought our dream property. We had an 80 acre hobby farm and it's a house that we had wanted for a long time and we ended up purchasing it. So I'm like, okay, well we're here to stay. Um, so I, I need to find a way to love winter. And so I signed up for the Tuscobia 160, which is, um, in Wisconsin. Um, it's kind of like near Eau Claire area and it's, a 160 mile race on a snowmobile trail um so the other aspect that i looked into it was like you you it has to be done solo um you have to pack all of your food the only thing you can do like they don't have aid stations for helping you is you can stop at a gas station or a restaurant that's on side of the trail and and get some get yourself some hot food if you need um, you need to learn how to either make your own water. So you need to carry a stove and boil the snow to make water, or you need to um, figure out how you're going to stop to get enough water. And so I, I like that part of it, like the science part of it. How do I carry enough water without it freezing? Like what type of gear do I need to um, keep everything from freezing? Even, you know, you pull your sled, you put your bag on top of the sled and how do I keep my zipper from freezing? Because those things happen too. And um, so it was really a challenge for me to, to figure that part of it out too. And I um, showed up at that race and I, uh, got about 60 miles in when just about everything that I had had froze. It hmm. ended up being one of the coldest years. It had dropped down to about negative 40 in the middle of the night. And um, so I had to go through and um, they did have one stop at the t uh, Turner or there's one stop at, I think it is around uh, 40 and then there's an 80 mile race too. So it's at 80 miles where you can go into the huts for a little, they like kind of time it. They're like, you're only allowed in here for a maximum of 30 minutes and you're not allowed to sleep in here. Mm -hmm. um, you have to be able to sleep outside, but you could unthaw whatever you had. So I was able to like change out of my wet socks and things like that. And, um, and thaw out my water bottles. Cause that's, you know, essential is to be able to hydrate yourself. Um, so I did that and I got to the 80 mile mark and I um, then was, I was really feeling that at that point and I, I needed some real food. So I got to the restaurant there and I sat there probably for about an hour and actually like ate some hot soup and let my body kind of relax. Um, I don't eat normally like in a hundred mile race or that. I don't like to sit a lot because you just tighten up. Mm -hmm. um, but I found in, in this race, like you really did need to, to let your body warm up because otherwise you would have issues. Um, so then I got um, on the way back. I was about 15 miles from the finish and I, I went into this gas station because my feet kind of stopped hurting. So, and of course they warn you about frostbite and things like that. And I thought, uh Oh, like, cause they had been in pain for quite a while. And I, um, went to the bathroom, took off my socks and shoes. And I saw that my toes were completely gray on, oh. um, both of my feet. And I thought, Oh no, this is, this is the start of frostbite. Like I, I need to call it. So I, I walked outside and um, they had people checking to make sure like you didn't jump into people's cars and stuff. So this guy says, hey, you're doing great. And um, he's like, you know, you're the only female left, right? And I thought, oh, <laughs> no, don't say that to me. <laughs> and, and I said, OK, I was like, OK, good. And I was like, how much further? He's like 15 miles. And um, I was 
I kept going. I went the, the last 15 miles and I, I finished and um, I got to the, um, to, to the chalet where we are. It's actually a VFW where they were all waiting for us to come in. And um, I didn't want to take my shoes off because I, I knew it was going to be bad. Yeah. And so kind of just sat down and, and regrouped myself. Um, the race, the Tuscobia is, um, you get a free entry into the Iditarod 300. If well, they do the raffles, so the top female and top male get put into a raffle and then that person goes on to Alaska if they, if they win. So I waited for them to finish that raffle. And um, I, I remember telling myself, oh, thank goodness I didn't win that raffle because I would have done it even yeah. <laughs> with all the pain I went through. And um, I went back to my hotel room. And so I've got, you know, snow pants on and layers and all my clothes. And I just laid it back onto my bed and I fell asleep with all of my clothes on. Mm. And I woke up the next morning and I, I did check out my feet and they were starting to turn black. And I thought, oh, no, like, what did I do? Um, so I was like afraid to go to tell my husband or to go to the hospital. So I didn't go for a couple of days. And then my husband, no, he's like, you need to go get your feet checked out. Um, but the thing is like, I didn't have any pain. So I, I didn't have any feeling in them. So I'm like, well, you know, they don't look great, but um, they don't hurt. But I did go get them checked out and I, I went to the emergency room in and we were still in Wisconsin and they're like, we're, we have to amputate. And they're like, this is bad. And I was like, wait, wait, like there's not a lot of stuff, a lot of knowledge known on for, for frostbite yet. Like, let's just wait it out because um, it's just my two big toes and like the tips of the other ones that were completely like starting to turn black. Mm -hmm. And so I got a second opinion and that doctor said, yeah, we can we can wait it out. We'll just um debreed the wounds and make sure that we're cleaning them and um so we went that route and i was back running on my toes right away because i was like well i don't feel anything <laughs> and then it was like um about a month later when it started to hurt like the nerve started to come back and it felt like i had lit my feet on fire and um for about six months my running really suffered i couldn't even wear shoes at work like i would just be in my socks while i was at my desk and um i like i, I had to put on some type of shoes like if i went out somewhere but i had these like um water shoes that i wore and or sandals no matter how bad my feet looked um but i was lucky enough to be able to keep all my toes I, i'm missing just partial of one of my big toes right now um but they're extremely sensitive to to winter um, in cold temperatures now. So, but I found sure. out that the person who won the bike race that same year, he lost all 10 of his toes, had to have them all amputated because on a bike, you're not moving your feet as much. They're, they're pretty much stuck in one position. And so a lot of bikers do really struggle with that in that race. Right. So at the same time that you ran that 160 mile race, there's a three, uh, how long of a bike race? Um, the bike race is the same distance too. Oh, okay. So you can either bike, ski or run and, and they stagger the races so that we're not like on top of each other. The runners start out first cause they're going to take the longest, uh, you know, cause it, it's, it's a lot of walking when you're pulling a sled and on a snowmobile trail, it's, um, you know, if the groomer goes by you're in luck because then it's a little bit smoother going easy. But if you've had 40 snowmobiles go by, um, because they're still snowmobiling while you're out there and they're warned that we're out there and there's, you know, specific rules on how much reflective gear we have to wear and things like that. But, um, they can really tear up a trail and make it soft. And so there were miles, you know, 10 mile blocks where it felt like I was 
pulling a boat behind me through the sand like it was mm-hmm. just really really rugged and so um you know and and so you tie your sled around your waist and so then that puts a lot of um strain like you have, have strong core definitely to be able to pull it that far and there were times um like my hip flexor there's a few hills too so the, the hills are nice so you jump on top of the sled and you sled down but then usually you got to climb up a hill after that mm-hmm. um so that especially when you're climbing and pulling a sled like that and my hip flexor like locked up on me i remember and i was like well i got I still gotta get up the hill so i turned around went backwards up the, i walked backwards and pulled the sled in front of me up the hill and so it's it comes down to you got to do what you got to do to to get through it to to the next checkpoint where you can take a break. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I want to ask you, you talked about the mindset and how far can you push it? Stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, kind of two things I'm wondering for you, like if you could reflect back, what was the pinnacle or the highest moment? Not necessarily. Well, you could say on, a, yeah, actually I was going to say highest moment from like a statistical level or like you ran this 200 mile race or whatever it is, but maybe more even also two things is highest moment, like on a, a personal internal level, like the biggest, like, uh, epiphany moment or something like that, or even it's the, fr- could be the first race, the last race, the middle race, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So can you touch on those two things highest from a technical level, like the furthest you ran or the best you placed for compared to what you expected maybe. And then as well, what were the moments that were like, this is unbelievable. Or is there many of those or can you dive into both those? Yeah. So definitely my highest point, um, I guess is, it was when I did the 200 mile race in Washington, um, going into that and, and never having even driven through the mountains until I, I, and I drove out there by myself from Michigan to Washington. (laughs) I did that whole drive by myself. And I remember being nervous, just driving through the mountains. And then I got to the, to the mountains and, and I didn't know what running originally, I mean, that's, it's pretty terrifying to, to just look down and all these drops are, you know, just horrific drops. If you do fall off this tiny little ledge where you're running. Um, but you know, like I said, they kept saying like Michigan made it, Michigan made it. And I got to the top of what's called elk point. Okay. So you climb this huge mountain and there's nothing to hold on to. It's like the very top of it is just one big rock slab. And you can see like as you're on your hands and knees crawling up the last part and you're watching these rocks like tumble down to their death down below. And, um, and you can see the elk up there running and, I got to the top and I looked down and, you know, just the amazing view of these valleys down below. And I just started to cry. I was like, Michigan made it. I said it to myself. I'm like, look what I just did. This little Midwestern girl just climbed to the top of this mountain. I have no crew. I drove here by myself and you know, I was born premature. They didn't know if I'd make it. And I just made it to the top of this mountain. And that was just life-changing like i couldn't believe the emotions that just hit me when i got to the top of that mountain just just started bawling and then i didn't even notice there was another couple up there that had just been hiking and they you know you know i'm covered in salt and sweat and everything and they thought i was like dying because i'm sitting there bawling (laughs) i'm like i'm just so happy and they're like okay we thought you were hurt (laughs) but that that was definitely my my highest mount my highest moment right there yeah Um, yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, that's crazy. How high up were you at that point? Do you know the elevation? I don't know the exact elevation mm. at that point, but that race has 90,000 feet of elevation gain throughout the race. So wow. just outrageous climbs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I asked you two parts of on a, like a statistical or whatever else, somebody from the outside, what would they say is your highest moment, mm-hmm. but you having a, a highest moment on a personal level, yeah. is that the same thing? Like, do they, are the, is that from an achievement, if you had to look back and say, Hey, this is my highest achievement, that race and that event, is I, that it? Yeah. Think? I would say that that race is to, um, you know, that's the, the greatest distance. That was definitely the greatest, this challenge was, was being out there that and, and the Tuscobia race, just because, um, you know, managing those types of extreme weather and, and then pulling your sled with all of your gear, um, you know, and 160 is not much shorter than 200. So it, and it's, and in that race, you know, in the 200 mile race, it was in August. And so if I needed to stop onside the trail and lay down and sleep, I did. And that was fine. You know, I, I, I went in with a much less competitive attitude in that one because it, it came down to, I just need to survive. Like mm-hmm. I've seen people fall off these ledges and, and, and actually I should, my, my coach at the time, her name is, um, Hillary Allen. And she's, a, she was, a running for North Face at the time. So she, and her nickname is Hilly Goat Climbs, like, or her Instagram handle. And, um, so she's just a tremendous climber and, and she's run what's called our sky races. So things like Killian Jornet runs in two, or they're just running over all these rocky ridges. Well, she, three days before my race, and she had been checking in with me daily, even though she's still racing, Three days before that race, she fell from one of the sky races and she fell hundreds of feet and they didn't know if she was going to survive. And um, she had, um, you know, broken all kinds of bones and um, she was, you know, just a mess and hospitalized. And and I didn't know what had happened at first because I'm, I'm driving across the country, so I'm not like checking social media and she's not checking in. And so finally I, I got to Washington and checked social media and I, I saw that she had had this terrible fall and, and now I'm already like, <laughs> she just fell and I'm about to go climb these mountains that I would not have ever experienced. And so, um, definitely went into that race with a, a different attitude of just staying alive and, and making it through and, and, and doing it for her. You know, she had helped me along this whole journey and, um, wanted to be able to say I finished it and you helped. So mm-hmm. what was her name? You said, uh, Hillary Allen, Hillary Allen. Okay. Mm-hmm. And she was your coach. She was checking in on you during that time. Did yeah. you feel like a, a party was missing because she wasn't able to check in on you during that race at all? Yeah. So that, like, that whole race, um, just a lot of bad timing for that race is uh, I also, um, my husband and I had decided to, um, foster a child at that time and uh it just so happened that the court date landed on like middle of that race Hmm. (laughs) like um like this day two of that race and so they they're like well you know my my husband's like well my wife has to travel these these 200 mile races they're about 1500 entry fee and like this was something i've been working for for so long and we didn't know the court date till the last minute and they're like, well, she has to like call in or something. He's like, well, she's if she's not at the top of a mountain, she's not going to get cell service mm-hmm. or you know. And and um, so 
I I felt horrible. Like that was another battle is like, you know, I wanted to take this child in and now I'm not going to be there on this really important date. And I was able to convince the court to to allow it and that my husband would just speak for us. Um, but her favorite color was purple and she loved flowers. So I, I wore this purple flower in my hair the whole time. So I was like, she's still on my mind. Like it's not you know, this is, it. I'm not obsessed with running that I would skip out on my family, but I, this is something that I put so much time and effort into that I still have to do this and, but I'm still there for her too. So yeah. just a very emotional race altogether. Right, right, mm -hmm. right. Like you said, to have your coach go through that and yeah. then thinking about her also not having her there for you and then the fostering thing. Yeah. A little tangent, can you get into, and you can go as far as you want or as not as far as you want, but what inspired the fostering side of things yeah so it was a, a local fan um couple and they were very young when they um decided to have this child and um she the mother actually had, had wanted to have an abortion didn't want to have the child and the the um her boyfriend had talked her into to giving birth to the child um and then shortly after they had split up and um you know there were a, a lot of drug and alcohol issues between the two of them and they were fighting and the boyfriend actually um that she didn't know that the baby was in the car um and he drove her he pushed her with the tr his truck he pushed her car off the road mm. and luckily nobody was injured but of course he ended up going to jail for that and um the mother was um she didn't have uh, the financial stability to be able to really, uh, you know, I mean, she was surviving, but she didn't sign up for any of the benefits that she probably could have had access to and, and really was struggling and was trying to work, you know, but childcare is so expensive. And mm -hmm. um, so I knew that they were really struggling and that um, this child was kind of um, being left with a, a babysitter most of the time and was in, in some pretty tough situations. And so I, I reached out to her and I said, you know, if you ever want someone to take a child, I'd be more than willing. I'd always wanted a daughter and I had just two boys. And so um, she said, you know, uh, she, and she knew like we were pretty well off at that point. And um, she's, she said, you know, I, I really do want the best for my daughter. I want to get my life together. I want to stop using alcohol and drugs. And to be able to do that and and i think the child reminded her a lot of the boyfriend and so you mm -hmm. know it, it is i can understand where it was hard and she said she dropped her off one day right around new year's eve and um never came back and so the courts were um after that we looked we looked into like fostering her and then eventually adopting her so crazy and, and we still um you know she still gets to see the um the mother doesn't want to see her. I think it's it's too hard for her. Sure. She, you know, the it, she just says it's better for me to just keep my distance. But we still speak to her about her mother, and I say, you know, your mother is training to become a nurse, and so that's why she had to do this. So, you know, we we don't want her to have any negative thoughts about the situation. And she wasn't abandoned. She was just needed. Her mother was too young and and needed to give her the proper life. So it was, you know that's what she did and, and the father does visit once in a while and um she gets to see both sets of grandparents still too when we come up to this area so hmm. trying to do the best that we can <laughs> yeah no it's powerful that's a crazy story mm -hmm. uh but it wasn't like you were actively seeking that out for many years and then you 
no had we had never child. that was just happenstance yeah it was i, I mean it was, so, it was someone i saw that was really struggling and, and needed help and i had the ability and financial background to be able to do that and so i thought that that's what we need to do i'm you know i've always adoption has always been something that's dear to my heart i think it's amazing um can be difficult as well but if you mm-hmm. if you can do it and have the strength to do it then it's just an, an amazing opportunity to be able to watch another to say like i chose this child and and now i'm helping her grow into a strong young woman so yeah no it's unbelievable uh thinking about the running things mm-hmm. right you went through that race what year was that and, and how long after the 160 mile race the, so, the, the western one that first one yeah, so that was the um, that was the following year that I then did. So it was like every year I bumped up <laughs> to sure. another level. Yeah, yeah. And you said you're to the point now where you're not at your peak, like you because of injuries, yeah, stuff like that. You're not, not going to be there. But did you go beyond and higher than that? Did you? Did so you say no, what's the next? 200 has kind of been the peak, and and maybe I'm also at the point where it's like. Like I can't go back to a hundred. I don't know if I could. Like I, I'd have to find one that was really interesting to me. You know, having a, a beautiful course and things like that are also things that I look for. I don't want to just um, like where I live in Indiana. It's 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 pretty flat, and you know, I w- I would never go back to like a road race or a, something like that. It has to be more challenging or or something else to it before I would do it. I did run. Um, the Mohican again um, last year and um, ended up finishing third overall in that race. So that was fun. I, I like that one. Um, hmm. But I haven't, I guess I haven't found that new like big race that I want to do yet. So Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Again, it's just crazy. So sometimes I have too many questions and I feel like I can't <laughs> get them out. But I, let me ask this one before I, I forget it is you wanted to know what you're capable of, right? How far you could push yourself. Mm-hmm. But what is the brain space? What goes through your head when you reach those walls? And like in those 100 and 200 mile races, do you reach 50 walls that you have to break through? Or what's that like? Yeah. Yeah. You definitely are just cycling through highs and lows all throughout the race. Okay. Um, so, um, like I said, it's probably the hardest time for me is between like midnight and two. That's when I'm really battling. Like I just want to be laying down somewhere and the the fatigue starts to set in. Um, and then I, it, a lot of them will have like aid stations that are playing really um, good music or, you know, you get there and people are so happy and they're trying to pump you up or so, so you'll, that kind of like helps pick you up and you start to feel in a better mood again, or you meet up with somebody on the trail that's got a, an interesting story and you, um, you know, can have a good conversation with them. So that's, those are the things that keep me going to keep my mental attitude back. Um, going in the right direction. <laughs> okay. So it is something where it's not like you have one big grand wall that you have to get through. And now that you made it through this, you're good to go. It's like repeatedly you're. Yeah. It's just yeah. Uh, repeatedly up, up and down. You know, I'd say every couple hours where you're <laughs> battling something. Okay. Um, and then we've hinted about the camaraderie side of things. Mm-hmm. Did you expect that going into it? Yeah, that was a replacement of that, that maybe that team or that just a human connection thing too. Right. But anyways, what did you, yeah, what was that? 
I didn't I didn't expect it nearly as much as as it turned out to be. Um, like I experienced it a little bit in my my 50k that first race that I did, but even a 50k is not much more than a, a marathon, so that was still pretty speedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I you know you did have times like in a marathon what you're just going to blow through the aid state you maybe grab a cup of water but usually you grab it toss it you don't talk to them um so i do really appreciate all the volunteers because a lot of times that's who you're going to talk to you come in and they're going to ask you how you're doing what you need and they've got some you know they're taught to keep you upbeat so you, you get to know them a little bit um i i've got to meet some amazing people um that one of them his name is the tutu runner so he often will wear like a pink tutu and and run these races and has run hundreds of races all over the u.s and you get to hear their stories about how they go around and what they do for work to be able to balance that where you're trapped you know you can go run a marathon and be home the next day, but if you're running 100 miles, you got to get there the day, be- day before for the race briefing. It's going to take you about a day to run, and then you've got that travel time at home, and you have to have an understanding employer to be able to deal with the fatigue that you're going to have. Um, you know, and even just driving home, it's um, you feel a lot of brain fog. Like mm. it's, it's almost, I would imagine, like being um, impaired with alcohol. It's like you had to like, I had to like really th- like is okay, what do I do at a stoplight? Like there's some, some serious um, changes going on in your brain and definitely slowed reaction time. So I don't drive after the races anymore. I usually stay for like a day or two if I, or unless I have a driver. Um, so you hear about, you know, different um, employ, employers and what they do and, you know, what do I want to do with my life so that I can keep this lifestyle or, you know, ha- for me, it would be to be able to do it more frequently, I guess, if I could. And um, so it's, it's really just an interesting time of, of learning what works for people. We talk a lot about um, one of the, in the 200 mile race, there was a female that ran in sandals the whole way, like Chacos. And I was like, like how are you doing that? And I, I kept meeting up with her here and there. And, um, you know, it, such a sense of like giving you know i've done a lot of international travel where you've been in really rough areas and and it is true like some of the poorest people are the ones that are the kindest and even though they have nothing they're going to offer you a little bit of whatever they do have and um i remember i had forgotten to bring like a toothbrush on, on this two ml race so you're out there for like three nights and I, you know, and you're eating a lot of sugary stuff. And I was like, my gosh, I would, what I wouldn't do for a toothbrush right now. And she had a spare one and she's like, here, have a, I, I have an unopened toothbrush. If you want this one, some toothpaste. And we shared a toothbrushing, <laughs> you know, like most people share a cup of coffee. We shared a time of toothbrushing together and just felt so amazing. And we got huh. to talking and I'm like, just such unique experiences that you wouldn't do on a day to day basis. So yeah. <laughs> Is it too that like the people that are running an ultra with you, like you're instantly bonded because of that connection. And you're like, you're the same amount of crazy that I am that we're going to do this thing. Like, yeah. Does that instantly make, remove all barriers? For sure. I think we've all like heard that. We all know we're a little different than your average bear. So, mm-hmm. and, but also I think it's, we know that at probably at one point or another, um, even though like I may depend on you at this moment, probably a little bit further down the road, you're going to depend on me for something. So, mm-hmm. um, we, you, you just know that and you're, 
willing to help each other out through to get through whatever you need to get through um like the tutu runner when i ran with him um he had done a lot of road races like badwater 135 where you run through the desert um and in fact he had just run that three weeks prior to that race and um so he had really been excelling at the road races and i had really stepped away from road running and i don't even like training road running so um and it was a hot day and we were climbing hill and i remember they had it was fresh pavement so the pavement was actually like sticking to our mm. shoes <laughs> so he got me through that and then we get onto a technical trail t- um trail and he'd be like all right you lead now you hold the pace because you know what you're doing and so i'd lead on that part we get to another chunk of road and then he'd lead and so mm. it really is interesting who you kind of just happen to bump into and connect with and can um, help each other just to survive out there. Right, right. What did you think of the West? My wife and I just did a huge, I mean, I hunt out there as much as I can, but we did a huge loop like uh, Yellowstone Glacier through the Columbia River Gorge to the Redwoods down to Yosemite through Death Valley, Utah and all that. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Like uh, I got home and I said, told my wife I could get in the car right now and drive that again. <laughs> like uh, it's just so cool, all those areas. Mm-hmm. Same experience for you when Absolutely. you're going out and hunting, or just, excuse me, running these things. Yeah, yeah. just breathtaking how how gorgeous those mountains are and you know and i love trees and stuff like that too so you know and i've been some areas where you go and it's you know not as wooded but um yeah just uh last year i actually drove out and went to mount rainier and did Mm -hmm. some hiking with my son out there and just um just amazing to be able to to just say like oh my gosh like my sister lives out there I live here in this just gorgeous area and to be able to go out and hike all these trails through so many different um, aspects of terrain would be amazing. Yeah. Right, right. Um, no, so I was just curious about that again because I am constantly thinking about the West and all that kind of stuff too. But when you were, when you ran that 50K mm-hmm. for your thesis, what did you find out? Did you learn that it is detrimental but people do it in spite of that or is it, uh, no. what did you learn? They, they found that, um, so there is a lot of inflammation uh, throughout the, the entire body throughout the races. Yeah. So if you look immediately after that they have inflammation and, and even with like arterial stiffness, it would look like, you know, you're doing heart damage at that point. Mm-hmm. But by 72 hours later, then they had dropped below the um, average, the person who, a person who doesn't run. So mm-hmm. they, in general, were much healthier than people who do not run. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I hinted earlier too, of course, I know the answer is yes, anything's always possible, but can you take somebody who is a non-runner or just your average U.S. citizen, very, very little activity, and get them to your point of running 200-mile races? I know it'd take a crazy unique person, but anyways, what would that look like? Yeah, I think that that it's actually would be easier than training someone to run like a road marathon because, well, for me, I you know I just think it's so much more enjoyable. Okay. So someone who doesn't enjoy running if you're going to put them into a road race and just make them go as hard as possible, like running as hard as possible, it's never fun. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you may get that runner's high halfway through, but it, it hurts. It's, it's hard. It's, that's what it's meant to be. Um, so I think that's where most people feel like, well, I don't like running because, because they take off too hard and they, you know, if you're running above that threshold, then, then it is going to be painful. But if you are a person who enjoys the outdoors 
And even though you're not a runner, I think just the chance to be out there and be outdoors and to see, like I said, all kinds of things that you can't see by car, um, you know, like in one of the, or in Washington and one of the parts was, um, they're called twin peaks. So you have two mountains that look exactly the same. And there were at least 75 trees that we had to climb over. And when I say trees, I mean like climb over was like reach as high as I can have somebody pull me up over the top of them and then like flail yourself with it. Like it wasn't just like jump over a twig like we do here. Um, so just huge trees and like (laughs) just endless. Um, and then you get to the next mountain and the same thing. And so, but you know, those are things you, if that was a training run, you would have skipped it and gone to a different trail, but you're forced to do these things that you wouldn't normally do. And, um, and once you do them, you're just like, I did that. And it wasn't really that bad. Might've been bad at the moment, but we made it and I'm, I feel fine. And right. so, um, so it's something that a casual runner, or a non-runner could get into with enough time, with enough persistence. Yeah. I think the biggest thing would just be education because okay. you can go pretty, like if you averaged out the pace that I held for that 200 mile race, it'd be like three miles an hour, right? Okay. So most people don't walk three miles an hour. Yeah. Um, so there is that part of just, just walking. Now, granted, you're going to do a lot of climbing too. So I think if you're, if you just have that mental toughness, like I may not be a good runner, but I'm going to get through this. Hmm. Uh, you know, it, you, the pace is not going to matter. Right. And, and you're just going to go along and, as long as you do make those climbs, you know, there was a lot of swearing coming up towards the, the peaks of those climbs. Like, is this over yet? Um, but once you get to the top and you see the view, uh, you know, it's like having a baby, you know, it, the labor may be painful, but you get that baby and you're like, that was worth it, you know? Yeah. And so you get to the top of the climb and you're like, that was worth it. And then you go do the next mountain. So yeah. I, I think, and there have been people, uh, you know, I've read about that, um, that don't have never run more than 10 miles and they go out and run hundred miles and you know, you're, you're probably going to be in pain for the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can do it. Sure. Crazy. Again, just because it's so foreign. I mean, think, like you said, you could, if there's 30 million runners in the U S there's how many ultras would you, yeah, ultra runners, what I would you say? It's like, like 1% of all runners are, are ultra runners. And, but it is, it is steadily growing. I think that that's, um, something to take into account now, like, um, UTMB is the big European race. And so, and they're starting to be a lot more televised and, and the Western States is becoming more popular. So it's, it's starting to come onto people's radar. Mm-hmm. Now you see a lot of former marathon runners that are jumping into the ultra world. Um, so I think it, it's, it's growing and we'll start to, you know, start to see people just like the, you know, so many people have run a marathon. We'll start to see, well, just that many people have run a hundred miles and yeah, watch it grow. So where I want to close out with this, unless you have anything else that you want to cover, if we miss anything again, because okay. I know all the stories and all the things we could spend <laughs> so much time on. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious for you, what's your relationship to ultra running today and where do you think it'll be moving forward or like, yeah, where, where are you at with that? Yeah, I still have a strong interest in it. Um, I, like I said, I just have to find like the next big challenge. So there's a couple of other like, um, slams where like you, 
um, run four races. So I think that's probably where I'm going to head to next. Um, right now I'm, I'm back in school, um, going back to nursing. So it's just like picking up a race here and there where I can. Um, but I, I run with a group for, um, they're called trailblazer running in Indiana. Um, so I've been helping out with some of the smaller races, um, and my getting my son to run some of those smaller races and then picking up a, like a 100 mile race. That's somewhere local. Like mm-hmm. I'll, I'll probably do, um, the hallucination 100 again, cause that's not too far of a distance from where I live. Um, and then hopefully by the end of next summer, when I'm, I finish my degree, I can jump back into something where I'm, I'm doing like something for points again. I, I really liked that. Um, just because you really do, you get, you get to meet that group. And to this day, we're all self, even though that was, you know, back in 2016, we all follow each other on social media and, you know, they're all doing all these fun challenges too. So you learn from them what the the different challenges are and, and try to challenge yourself to jump into those and, and you get to meet each other before each race. So you keep each other motivated through all four of those races. Um, so that's definitely a route I want to look into again. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. And <clears throat> excuse me, and I skip right to the end of where you're at today. Mm-hmm. After that 200 mile out west, did you have more, many more 200 miles after that or what's that? No, I haven't done any more. So um, that's definitely another thing I, I would like to do um, is there's what's called the triple crown. Um, so you run three 200 mile races all in one year. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's the Tahoe 200 out around Lake Tahoe and then Bigfoot 200 and the Moab 200. So I, I, that's definitely something that's on my radar. Um, that's a, another like huge expense though. So I gotta wait till I get my degree and start making a little bit more money. But, um, some, you know, I, I really look up to like runners like Courtney DeWalter who has outrun all the male runners and, you know, took Moab. And I think that's pretty amazing. I, I still have that, um, female power mentality is, is I want to be able to beat the boys. So, <laughs> yeah. And that was probably one of my first introductions is Courtney to alter on Joe Rogan, listening to her talk. Did mm-hmm. you listen to that after she won that race? Yeah. Well, I don't know if I've listened to that one. Okay. I, I'm usually listening to Joe Rogan, but I, I've listened to quite a few of her race, uh, you know, follow-ups and so sure. she's, yeah, she's a pretty amazing runner. <laughs> yeah. When she talked about sleeping on the side of the trail for one minute, yeah. I was like, oh. <laughs> unbelievable. Um, but that's on your radar though. The triple crown, 200, all three, 200 mile races all in one year. Hey? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think that, um, Candace, who's a race director for the, I'm sure she'll, she's already scouting out. She moved to Arizona now, so she's setting up some races down there. So, um, I think she'll come up with some new, new fun challenges and her races are just amazing. So, (laughs) yeah, crazy. So again, I've said it a few times that we could spend a lot of time on each one and I, I, there's a part of me that wants to, but just for the sake of your time and mine, I think we should wrap this up, but did I miss a huge component of it? Like thinking about the timeline, the trajectories, we talked about some of the races, some of the things that you've been on, some of the big moments. Is there anything I didn't cover that, like if you were looking back and telling a friend about these great things that, that we missed? Um, no, I think we, we really hit, hit on all of it. That's, um, you know, just, I, I think we keeping an eye out for the next big challenge is probably just the biggest aspect of it. So, you know, whatever, and whatever your joy is, um, you know, if I still, 
had functioning feet for without frostbite, you know, looking at like the Iditarod race and, um, uh, I w- there's a couple out in Finland as well. So, um, you know, I have some Finnish background and I think that would be really cool to go out and, and run, um, the Rovaniemi race out there. So things like that too. If, if my feet ever do heal, that's, that's going to be on my radar too. But I think, you know, um, a big thing, a big part of ultra running is, is learning to be in situations that are normally extremely uncomfortable for you and learning to find comfort and joy in them, to find comfort and joy in all aspects of life. And, you know, I think that hit home a lot during the COVID when things were locked down and, and I think my depression hit again, it was like, I'm not a homebody and Mm -hmm. now a lot of things that I enjoy doing have been canceled and um, you know we see so many people with depression and how do we learn to find joy in that like we we definitely can still be outdoors together and um, you know but how do you find the motivation to do that when you're not racing so I think I played along a lot with that is um, do I need to race or do I really just love running and you know, but, but when I think about it, like I wouldn't just go out and run a hundred miles on my own. I do kind of need that race to be there, to be able to push myself to run a hundred miles. Right. So it's right. A, it's an interesting dynamic. I love learning more about, um, psychology and it's, you know, sports psychology and how, how that really works in our own minds. So, yeah. And I have to ask, we talked earlier about through hiking and you said that maybe someday like a retirement thing or something like that, but mm-hmm. from the outside looking in and maybe it's not something you've thought a lot about, but how do you think the, well, I guess it would vary so much on how you're approaching it, but from like a, a approachment standpoint and like a mental and a hitting walls and all that kind of stuff, how do you think that would vary a 200 mile of it race versus a through hike? Uh, maybe that's a naive question, but I'm, I'm just curious yeah. what your thoughts are. I think it would be a little bit more hard, difficult to stay motivated and on task. I think that, like I said, I don't like to take long breaks because I, I get lazy too. You know, um, people laugh at me when I say I'm lazy, but I, <laughs> I think we all get lazy at times. So if you stop and, um, a lot of those people have like zero days where they don't hike and they just need to gather all our stuff and air out their gear and stuff too. Um, would I be able to get moving again if there's no, no motivation to finish in a certain time or any of that? So I would have to set, um, very strict, like goals for myself mm-hmm. to get to this point and that point in order to be able to accomplish it. I think it would be too easy to cop out and drop at points otherwise, or to get lazy and slow down. Yeah. I do, I do need that motivation of a little bit of competitiveness for, for my own self to, sure. to do it. I think a few things, like I said, I crave that experience, that through hike thing of doing a five month hike or a three month hike or whatever it might take. Um, and part of it's the outdoors side of thing. Part of it's we're so connected, right? Mm-hmm. On a, like I talked to you about having a day where a pillow to pillow, you didn't stop for 30 <laughs> seconds to think. Right. Um, but also that too, the like the struggle, like the hitting the walls, what do you do at that point? How do you, do you move beyond that? So like what you take away from your ultra running is I feel like that's why I'm even, even so intrigued in this conversation because I like, I'm craving that same thing. Mm-hmm. For me, it hasn't been ultra running because I feel like it's just so far away, but there's a part of me that says maybe it isn't, you know, and again, you just said that a person could get to that point, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know. So I don't know where I'm going with that other than just saying it's, 
yeah, a similar drive to do that. I think that seeing what you're capable of. Yeah. Yeah. It's for me, it is. And, and that, uh, like I said, seeing what the body is capable and willing to do, um, you know, in that 200 mile race definitely hit some lows as well. And I, I remember one point was I ended up alone for quite a while after the twin peaks. And, um, I was just kind of getting down on myself and feeling miserable. It was about mile 160. And I heard this guy like running up behind me, like running pretty fast. So I'm like, well, what's he up to? Like, we're, you know, too mm-hmm. far to be, to be kicking it in now. And, um, he goes, there's bears back there, bears. And, and like you do hallucinate during these races, like roots start to look like snakes and, but there are actually bears out in Washington and up in the mountains. So I was like, well, I'm gonna stay, you know, you know, the old saying, well, the last guy's the one that's gonna get eaten. So I'm like, I gotta stay ahead of this guy. So I start picking it up. And then I was like, I was like, I don't even feel good. Yeah. And I turned around and I go, you know what? bring it bear yeah. and i was like i just want to be done you know i, I want to way out of this and yeah. like because i couldn't quit because that would me- mess with my psyche too much so i was like well if you get eaten by a bear i guess that's a good cop out and yeah. so, but i ended up getting to the next sleep station and uh I refused to leave that sleep station until somebody else was ready to. So I, I ended up stuck there for four hours before somebody else was ready to leave. But I was like, um, you know, at that point I was ready to go back and I didn't want to be attacked by a bear. So I stayed with somebody for the last um, 20 miles. Uh, we stayed together. And then I actually ended up c- connecting with uh, Billy Yang, who's a famous videographer for a lot of ultra runners. He was out doing the videos for um, her race and, He's like, you know, I didn't get my run in today. He came up jogging up to me uh, with a backpack and the last 13 miles of that race is, is pretty much all road. And then you finish on a track and he said, you mind if I run with you? And, and he's a fast runner, you know, and I'm close to 200 miles in. So I'm like, okay. And, uh, but I was like, you know, starstruck by him. So mm. I tried my best to run as fast as I could those last 13 miles. And, uh, he brought me into the finish line. And so it was quite the ending at the end <laughs> over there. Right, right. Yeah. Crazy. It's fun to hear about the whole bit, yeah. right? Do you have a lot of people that like reach out to you and say, I'd love to try this? Or what's your experience with that, Ben? Like, yeah, I think a lot of people are, are interested in it. Well, a lot of um, people who are active, I, I guess I would say, okay. are like outdoorsy. Yeah. Um, I, I want to kind of dive into it and, and try. So. Yeah, I mean, definitely what you want to start out with the, you know, 50K and, and get your nutrition in. But a lot of people are just reach out and they just want to hear the stories. Though, yeah. Too, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Well, I really appreciate it, Bridget. Thanks for coming in yeah, and telling all about it. Me. Yeah. Hey, guys, thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have and you feel so inclined, share this podcast with your friends. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and give us some feedback with a review. Until next time, thank you.